0: Девочка, Что ты делаешь здесь? you Иди.
1: Куда
0: Куда ты идёшь? Ты такая красавица. Хорошинучка, куда ты идёшь? А с тобой.
2: 4th of July listeners and welcome to a very special episode of the film effect podcast where we give movies the full effect deep dive for the film effect archive it's officially world war 3 and those damn soviets think they're slick with their boxed in tactics in an effort to occupy america but oh no a group of colorado high schoolers have plans of their own in the form of retaliation and with that said i'm ed i'm justin and i'm jeff and this is Red Dawn. Let's do this.
1: What's going on here, my friend? Go see Alex! I'll meet you!
3: This is the emergency broadcast
4: system. We are under attack by conventional forces of the Russian army. It is believed the lead waves were disguised as commercial charter flights. Communications have broken down in other parts of the country. Large areas
3: of the Midwest may have been overrun. They
5: know who all of you are. They're looking for you.
6: You're 40 miles behind enemy lines.
2: I just want to go home.
3: They took a lot of
1: people away
2: Where's my death, Mr. Ecker? I
1: want to love somebody, Andy. I'm gonna die before it happens.
3: Do They're gonna kill us! All of us! So why should we be different?
0: Because
3: we live here!
0: For a bunch of kids, huh? Mama'd be
1: real proud. Wolverines!
2: In Red Dawn, it is the dawn of World War III. In the West Mountains of America, a group of teenagers band together to defend their town and their country from invading Soviet forces. So I've gotta state the obvious here and say they really don't make them look like they used to. Like here is a fine example of just where the state of action films were in the early to mid eighties. A-, a lot of them were territorial pieces, come to think of it earlier, that center around one particular area that's being threatened with some sort of takeover. Like you get films like this, obviously, Rambo First Blood Part Two comes to mind, Missing in Action, American Ninja, Commando, like pretty much Every canon film applies to this. Um but all the films that I just mentioned, of all of them, Red Dawn is the one that is most often remembered most by the least people that I talk to. It deals with a lot of political warfare while essentially creating what I've always considered a fantasy daydream by having a group of fellow high schoolers take part in saving the day. And I, I also believe that the early roles of Swayze and Sheen, along with the future Dirty Dancing co star Jennifer Gray and Leah Thompson, right before her career took off with Bath to the Future, helped make the film become the iconic success that it is today. Um, you know, I, I know obviously the three of us are here. We're all fans of this film. I figure it's 4th of July. What better way to celebrate than uh, talk about Red Dawn? You know, we'll save the alien warfare films for another day. So Will Smith, Save That Stoogie. We're talking about Red Dawn today.
4: Yeah, man. Excellent choice. And it's about as patriotic of a movie as you can get. I mean, what's more patriotic oh, than, yeah. you know, like a foreign country just, you know, just settling their asses down in the middle of America and some just just high school kids just decide, hey, you know what? Get the fuck out. And then <laughs> it just goes from there.
5: Absolutely. I'm a big fan of it. a couple of those movies that you mentioned though, I would say come to mind to me personally before Red Dawn, uh specifically Rambo and Commando. But <clears throat> I'm a big fan of Red Dawn. And I and like, like I see when a lot of people talk about it, it's like, oh, you know, it's like the cast or, or that's like a great 80s movie. And it obviously is. It's very 80s, but like I don't I don't that's not the first thought I have of it. Like I just I I think I I think my first thought is probably like John Milius. I think of him before like even any of the actors. It's just like It's the movie he was born to make. Like, and I always forget, like, he's got a co-screenwriting credit, but it wasn't his original screenplay. It was, um, oh shit, I'm spacing out now. Who was it?
2: Kevin Reynolds.
5: Kevin Reynolds. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this movie seems like it came straight from Milius's head, but I I was, Mm -hmm. I'm always, like, pleasantly surprised when I'm reminded that it was Kevin Reynolds, because I'm a big Kevin Reynolds
2: fan too, so. Um, yeah same here we'll we'll talk about him momentarily yeah I am too uh well before we actually get into everything of course let's uh kick it off with our first time viewings uh, it's it's just that you see this is actually uh my my first time no no my fir- it's my first time uh since my first time so technically that's my second time and I don't i don't I don't wanna Suck at it. So we that to It's funny enough, we talked about this yesterday, uh, Justin, when we were, we were going down the Sound Garden, My first time with this, um, it, Sean plays a part in it. So he had the Opelis, Shmo- opulus, we've mentioned before on the show, his old apartment. And I used to have a key to it. And usually when we were hanging out on weekends, like typically on Friday nights, he'd close up shop downtown at uh, at the cell phone store at Verizon and I just helped myself into the place for the first couple hours or so waiting for him to come home and hang out and I just remember going through his collection one particular Friday night like just going through it like a fine tooth comb just to really look at what he had because him and I always were dueling with our collections because him and I were always big advocates for uh, physical media so Going through his Blu rays, um, I remember three particular films that stood out that I picked out that I'd never seen before. Um, One, Alone in the Dark, the 1982 horror film, like one of the, if it wasn't the very first, it was one of the first new line films that Bob Shay produced with uh, Jack Palance and uh, Martin Landau. And then Wall Street, 88, or 87. Charlie Sheen. Funny enough, we'll talk about him when this obviously. And uh, Michael Douglas. Can't wait to cover that film one day as well. And then the third was Red Dawn. And I felt I never heard of Alone in the Dark. That's why I picked that one out. But but uh, Wall Street and Red Dawn, I had just never seen before, and I was kind of taken back at the fact that I had never seen them myself, and I I just I wanted to um, rectify that. So, I, you know, sat there and watched them before Sean came home, and, like, he got so pissed, and this was always Sean's thing. Sean was big on introducing people to things. He always wanted to, like, claim, like, I, I, I got so-and-so into this movie or that movie, and when I told him that, you know, yeah, I was helping myself, and I watched Wall Street and, and uh, Red Dawn. Fucking great films, man. And he was like, son of a bitch! Like, you couldn't have waited for me at least to watch him with you? I'm like, hey, man, i they didn't want anything else to get in the way? It was kind of an in the moment thing, so yeah, just hanging out at Sean's so house, waiting for him to get home. Um, kicking back, I think his bird Larry was still alive at the time, too, saying bong hits and shit with him while watching this. But uh, that was my first time at least. So, I mean, this was back in like 2011, so we're going back like 12 13 years ago. I was kind of a late, I was kind of a that was definitely late-woman. one of his
4: things, too. Like Sean loved being oh, the cherry yeah. popper, you know what really I'm saying? Like that. he loved he loved nothing more than being like, yo, you gotta check this shit out that yep. I found. Like he, he he would just come up with some stuff and I'd be like, yo, like whatever this is, like hey, <laughs> I'm on it. Like let's let's check it right. out.
2: He was big on that, real big on that. So and I get it. I'm kinda the same way, but not to the extremes that he went. <laughs> so we all know Sean. We love him, we miss him. Uh, how about you, uh, Justin?
5: Uh, my first time, I saw it in the theater. I don't remember which theater I saw it in. Um, I feel like this was a Golden Ring one, but I, I was I, I about to say it like, wasn't Golden Ring. I mean, it could have been the Patterson, it could have been the Grand, it could have been the Strand, but uh, I've, this feels like a Golden Ring movie for some reason. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't have a big memory of seeing it for the first time. I, I've always liked it, so I liked it from that first watch and. Watched it probably another dozen or more times on cable over the years. So, Um, but yeah, that first time was definitely in the theater.
2: It's funny. I always paid you to be a bigger fan of this film than you actually are. Nothing wrong with that. I just always felt that you were like huge on it, like I am. The thing is,
5: probably I rewatched it for the, well, we'll get into all this. I'm a bigger fan than I'm leading on. Let me put it that way.
2: I was going to say, I saw that letterbox rating. So, We'll talk about it. Yeah. How about you, Jeff?
4: Well, I mean, with me, I I know for a fact I saw in the theater, but, you know, like, Justin, I I don't recall at what point, when and where, but you got to remember, this was, like, the early 80s, and there was, like, a point in my life when, you know, like, I didn't, like, I I wasn't really into violent movies, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and, and I have an uncle who's a Marine, and one day I was at his house and I think the first like real like action movie I remember seeing was he put on uh, a, a, a VHS copy that he had burned somewhere of uh, First Blood. And, you know, now it's funny because I was just watching, I don't know if you guys have checked out any of the, uh, the Arnold documentary yeah, on Netflix right now, but it, yeah, but there's like one point, you know, when they're kind of, you know, diving into uh, the whole rivalry between him and Stallone when like the real action movie genre kind of started picking up steam in the 80s where all of a sudden the leading man it wouldn't be about the acting or necessarily the story but what he's doing you know what i mean like what you know like like wow look at all this crazy shit this guy's taking on an entire army and then it just kept getting more and more Mm -hmm. gratuitous from there you know like in first blood it's like okay he's taking on a small army of cops by Part two, he's taking out 350 guys. They're Russians. They're <laughs> Vietnam. He single-handedly wins the Vietnam War. Exactly. It's like, and they threw some Russians in there for good measure. You know, the only movie that may be more patriotic than 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 Red Dawn is probably First Blood. Part two is probably Rambo because he just yeah he just takes out all of the United States enemies and even finished winning a war that we lost. So, <laughs> but. But see that, see that got me really started, and then all of a sudden, you know, I was, I, you know, I was, I was on that role for a while, and you know, I, I, I went to see like pretty much everything in the theater, you know, like I saw like Stallone and Cobra, I saw like Commando in the theater, you know, Tango and Cash. I mean, if it had like, you know, a certain, you know, like any pretty much anything that Arnold or Stallone did, or you know, when Die Hard came out, I mean, all that shit, like, I, I would just, you know, one after the other, I, I made it a point to go see it. And, like, the thing, and it's just around the same time, you know, I'm young and all, you know, we, we played outside back then. And the biggest thing we did was play guns, you know, like, we played soldiers and we all pretended and we were Rambo and shit and running around. So, you know, we were big into, like, the whole half-assed paramilitary thing. And the thing that, like, was really cool about Red Dawn is it was it was kids, basically, or at least, you know, on paper. It was supposed right. to be a bunch of teenagers. You know, And in the back of your mind, it's like, oh, yeah, we could do that. If the Russians came in town, we'd totally kick their ass, you know. Like, we just got to steal some of their guns and then steal more guns. And this is, yeah, like, this could happen, you know. Like, and, you know, every little little kid back then and I thought he was a badass like you know Rambo clone could always, you know you're like you're thinking yeah look at these kids doing it I could do it as that's good as That's why they I called
2: it a fantasy dude so, like, really yeah, in I'm, the episode cuz that's exactly what it is exactly like, it's every yeah. like teenage guy's fantasy I think, I,
4: <laughs> I think it really picked up though for me when it went, when it went to cable because that was when you know you, you start having the uh the the basic cable with uh, I don't remember if it was Showtime or HBO or whatever, but they started running it on a regular basis, and I, I'm pretty sure I recorded it oh, yeah. on the old VCR, and then I just watched the shit out of it, you know, until the quality was getting <laughs> bad because I watched it so many times. Because it was just a good go-to. I mean, it's such an entertaining movie from beginning to end that, like, well, you know, when you just got nothing else to do, it was like, oh, go yeah, watch Red Dawn again. It's As just, a kid, man. action
5: movies were definitely my favorite genre, like more than horror, maybe even more than comedy. I think comedy and, and action it was close but i think action in the end because like you said jeff that like playing with like toy guns or like i i was into the gi joe figures as a kid like i loved all that shit so so yeah like, yeah anything that was just like guys shooting guns i was like it was my favorite movie as a kid fucking loved rambo loved all the missing in action movies Invasion USA, like just anything. Invasion <laughs> USA, invasion USA yes. and you go back, and like I go back <laughs> and watch them now, and I'm like, Invasion USA is actually a really lousy movie, but I fucking <laughs> loved it when I was 15. Like it was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and like I, I don't in Red Dawn, I don't really group in with those so much. On it, it's got action in it, but I don't think of it as an action movie. Um. I just think of it sort of as as a drama with with action elements.
1: Gotcha.
2: All right. um, Story time.
1: Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit. But it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So
2: who remembers Operation Red Dawn? I
1: don't I don't
5: remember anything specifically called that, so depends on what it is.
2: It was uh in real life, it was the operation to capture uh Saddam Hussein. Oh, they named it. Uh, yeah, they, named the tar- they named it they named it Operation Red Dawn. They <laughs> actually had They dubbed their targets Wolverine 1 and Wolverine 2. Army Captain Jeffrey McMurray, who named the mission, said the naming was so fitting because it was a patriotic pro-American movie. John Milius approved of the naming, saying, I was deeply flattered and honored. It's nice to have a lasting legacy. So, yeah, I remember when they did this 20 years ago, fittingly enough. um, Oh, that's right. Wolverine 1 and 2 were the sons. I got Now I do remember that now that you say it exactly uh, so that's you know they, they found him in the spider hole yeah and then came the uh, ec- there was a point in time that I don't know I just felt like because with like the the hot hot shots movies and everything else and and this another one that comes to mind South Park movie like just the way Saddam Hussein was just embedded into our pop culture in a Big fucked Lebowski. up way Huh
5: big Lebowski
2: big Lebowski, exactly, but you know he he, he it, it was just in a fucked up way that like I was growing born and uh, you know raised about, uh, in, in the nineties that was my heyday as in my teenage years and whatnot, so he was everywhere, and like there was a point in time when I just accepted him, and I don't know It sounds fucking heinous and shit for everything that he did and he was responsible for, and let me emphasize what I meant um basically like it, he was just there he was all around me in in like movies and he was always like in in um in a comedic way manner you know it wasn't it definitely weren't embracing the the dark side of the man but uh what
4: well i think he's about as close as you can get to like a real life like you know action movie <laughs> super villain yeah. you know like this guy who's you know the evil dictator that runs the country, and he's got chemical weapons. I mean, how how easy was it for you know Bush to convince the American public and Congress that hey, we need to go get rid of this guy? Not hard at all because he was like he, he was basically like like a, an arch Boy, criminal. You know, <laughs> like everybody already at that point hated him. And was afraid of him slightly, so... He
2: stuck around for so long, they waited so long to do all this, like, I just figured that, like, yeah, he was commonly hated, but they just never really put forth the initiative to capture him until they finally did 20 years ago. So, getting back to my comment earlier, I accepted him just being there for the sake of, you know, he's a fucking monster, we know this, but we're just going to continue over here on this side of the pond to just, you know, make light of him in a comedic way uh, knowing everything that he's responsible for but, again not knowing that stuff, I was ignorant I was young, and and I just the Saddam Hussein I saw was just when he was painted in in a you know, dumb, funny way, and I just knew of him, and just figured he was just gonna stay over on his side of the area and just grow old and die like i never expected us to actually like take it seriously enough to like they they finally did in 2003 went over there and finally fucking nabbed him but is anything i'm saying making sense because like you know just to give paint give the listeners a perspective we're 10 years apart you know you guys talking about seeing this in the film in the theaters at like ages 11 and 12. I was born a week after this film came out. So, <laughs> so in the 90s and all that, you know, I was like I mean, 13, 14 and older, obviously, but that's how I saw it. That's how I saw Saddam Hussein.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you hit it on the head. I mean, he, he, South Park literally made him a Satan's yep. gay boyfriend, you know, yep,
3: like, so how,
4: that went on. They, they turned him into a joke, like a caricature of mm-hmm. himself. You know, like the supposedly the meanest, most dangerous guy on the planet. And they, they make him in hell, live, you know, living with Satan. And he's like his over-domineering, like gay boyfriend. So <laughs> it's just like the funniest dynamic. It's so worked. And when you're, that's, that's what you're used to seeing. Well, you don't take the guy too right. seriously. So after that, it's like well, all of a sudden it's like okay, we really need we really need to get rid of this guy right now. He's got crazy weapons. He's going like, to use enough
2: them. Enough. And they did so. Well, allegedly, well, yeah, yeah. I'm biting my tongue. I'm biting my tongue over <laughs> they, here.
5: They, none they, of that shit ended up being yeah, right. They, you know, it's like they found we're, him we're talking in the fire like all, all that shit was true. It back back ended up back. none of it was true. So I don't know why we're talking so much about Saddam. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to Red Dawn.
2: Yeah. Really. All right let before we get into it then, let's do our pre dive top five.
5: Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones. Track ones.
0: Janie Jones, Clash. From The Clash. Yeah. Let's get it on, Marvin
2: Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No
1: Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up <laughs> shut a- Shut up, <laughs> shut up. White light, White heat. Velvet Underground.
3: Okay, that
5: would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive attack, no protection. The song is Alright. Favorite
2: PG thirteen rated war films. Keep it contained a little bit. Make it not so many it's not really a widespread, not so many options to choose from. Um so that being said, I have no honorable mentions. Number five for me, uh, hey, I'm a fan. Pearl Harbor. Especially the director's cut. Now I know I said PG thirteen, so I want to keep it as is because I did see it in theaters, and I, I actually own. I've seen both cuts. I think the the DVD I have is like a big four disc Vista series collection set that has like each individual cut of the movie on per disc, and uh, yeah, my favorite is the director's cut. It goes fucking hard on the fucking violence, which is the way it should be, but. You Know, I digress. PG 13, Pearl Harbor, made mad at it. I don't, I don't, I don't get the hate. Let's put it that way. Uh,
5: I almost put that on my list just because. It is, so, let me just start by saying, I don't have five, like, I don't think I've seen five PG 13 war movies. Like, in my mind, it's almost criminal that you make a PG 13 war movie. It, like, war movies should be hard, R. um just showing how horrific it is i don't know how what you even do in a p war movie so I, I i don't have five so i'll throw pearl harbor on there because i almost did um you know i'm not the we we we've talked michael bay on here a few times i'm not the hugest michael bay fan in the world um but pearl harbor is one of his movies where requested I just- to
2: be on painting game
5: well, because I needed an excuse to watch it, like I've been wanting to watch it for a while. We were all doing one, so I had to pick one. I knew I didn't like the oh, other one. Right. I was, that's I was right. like, yeah, I was like, let me give this one a shot. Maybe I'll I'll like it. So, anyway, um, Pearl Harbor. If I just shut my brain off and watch it, I, I can enjoy it. Like it's it's a. I don't think it's a good movie, but it's watchable. Okay.
2: Yeah.
4: That's an excellent way of putting it, really, because <laughs> I feel like it was done kind of sloppily, if that makes sense, and
2: you well, the know, studio it's... got their hands on it. Because I don't know, if, have you guys seen the director's cut?
5: I just see whatever they show on cable, so whichever okay, cut then that you ends. have, it.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's a rare still thing. like three
5: hours long. Whichever one I'm watching, it's, it's long actually four. Spot, so. The
2: director's cut is, is closer it? to four. Yeah, see, I don't, oh, I don't geez. need that. Um. I'm four Six.
5: hours of Michael Bay in one sitting.
2: Yeah, that's my preferred cut, obviously. Amen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Jeff?
4: Are we going around with our number five?
2: Yeah, that's how we do it, buddy. Yep.
4: Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, well, I got a bunch on the list. At my number five, I'm going to say uh, Master and Commander at the World's End.
2: Yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott.
4: Yeah, you know, Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe you know it's,
2: isn't, Ed, isn't Ed Norton it's in that movie?
4: movie I mean if you're into that type no, of thing exactly. with uh with you know with with wooden ships and 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 sea battles that kind of thing and they're basically hunting around the uh I think they're somewhere in like the South Pacific or near the uh the tip of uh of South America because they, they, they do spend some time around the Galapagos area mm-hmm. and they, they, they're kind of like playing this uh cat and mouse game with I believe it's a French vessel if I'm if, you know it's Been a while since I've seen it, and you know it's all kind of leading up to this big grand battle at the end, which you know I I think it was again. It's not like the best movie, but it's 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 worth a watch. Like uh, everything
5: I read about it says how great it is. Like I I remember when it first came out, like all the critics were like this this movie's fantastic. Like it kind of came and went. Like didn't get any academy Academy Award nominations, and I remember that being a big deal. Like this movie, like how do you not nominate Master and Commander for everything? And like now, even when I read about it, like people are just like, that's like, a- I still have never seen it. I've been meaning to watch it forever and just have never gotten around to it. I actually bought a used copy at the thrift store and still haven't watched it. But um, I want to just based on how much everybody loves it.
4: Yeah. Well, so it's it's a very niche movie. You know, you got you got to be into that sort of, you know, de- you got to be dedicated to want to watch a movie about about old time ship battles. And it's like very to, detailed, to really right? appreciate it. And it's
5: very detailed, right? Like
4: it is like very detailed. On. I mean, and from the from the you know the, 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 you know everybody the the, the officers eating separately than the crew, the crew having literally children on board that are or deckhands, you know, and, and they, they they run around and do different things for the uh, the soul. Well, the uh, the sailors. A lot of it is very very on point and very historically accurate. And and the the ship that they're chasing is bigger, faster. And and built ladder uh, built much stronger than theirs, so they got to kind of be sneaky about how they do things. So and it's just kind of like just back and forth where they're playing dodge them. It's like okay, well, you know, what, what do we do in this situation? Do we want to just avoid them, or do we want to try to win one for the team? You know, for the the king.
5: Yeah, I gotta check that out.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm the same that... boat as you, Justin. I've I've heard nothing but great things, but I've never seen it myself. I remember the film because I was working at Blockbuster when it came out on DVD, but I never watched it. I didn't. I didn't take that one home.
4: Well, I can tell you, you won't be mad that you watched it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You won't be like, oh, that fucker, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. All right.
2: Uh, number four, uh, I got cute with the category War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, for all the reasons that I said in the episode, then when we covered it a couple years back. Um, just a good film, just a good franchise and everything. And uh, it's not really much of a war film as much as it is just, I don't know, badass. I like it a lot. It's, it's like I said, we, we covered it already. So I feel like I've already said everything I have to say in that episode. Check it out. Um, until then, Justin, number four
5: uh i don't really have a number for uh, um
2: <laughs> this list i was <laughs> i went to like five uh, either so
5: no it's i'm saying like i literally only have one like the the, the two that i did put on the list are stretching credulity like i thought about putting those on as i went to this ranker list for like the top pg-13 war movies because i couldn't think of any and like some of the shit they had on there was just stretching it so i'm going to go with one of their stretches and go with the uh, hot shots part. Deux. <laughs> oh Jesus, <laughs> that was on that list, so I'm gonna go with it.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I have no, I have no. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm speechless.
3: <laughs>
2: I got no. That choice movie but contains to one of my it.
5: one of my all time favorite lines when Lloyd Bridges goes, it "Looks, hey Saddam, looks like the looks like the upper hands on the other foot." I don't know why that, that fucking line gets me every time I watch that movie. It's my favorite. I watch the whole movie waiting for that part, which is near the end.
2: Sayonara Saddam um, drops the big-ass bomb on <laughs> is my <that> outside lounging. <laughs> <gasps> oh, shit. All right, Jeff, four.
4: Let's see. At number four, I have the uh, – This is this is an old-school one here. I haven't seen it personally in a while, but I remember it being really badass. Watching it with like my grandfather when I was younger is the Dirty Dozen.
5: Yeah, that's good. Is that PG thirteen? Like, did, it... It's
4: actually PG. Yeah. So I figured yeah. if we were doing PG thirteen, we were doing PG thirteen or under, right? Yeah.
3: And that, back I mean, then,
4: they, they didn't really go with the you know over the top violence, right. so you didn't have to worry as much about. Uh, it was things that I guess were geared towards a more general audience. Across the board, so you didn't have to. It, it was uh, suitable for children. I mean, they, they used to show that on on regular TV, and I, I, that one is worth the, the the look just because of the the cast in it. You know, you look at some of those like Lee Marvin, Telly Savalas, like Charlie Bronson. I mean, you know, the list goes on, and it, the, the cast was solid. And it's the whole concept of taking a group of criminals and sending them on a suicide mission because, hey, why not? You know, like, this is, this is your, your free pardon if you can make it through.
2: Yeah, I've never seen that one before. Oddly enough. 30 dozen. So that's why I don't have it on my list. Spoilers.
4: Yeah, it's kind of like Suicide Squad, but with soldiers. With, yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure it's set in World War II, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Okay. Oh. All yeah. right.
4: So it's been a it's been a while for me personally, but it, it it's again it's it's one of them ones that's worth a look because it's it, it just because of the cast alone.
2: I don't like to watch it.
4: You have a lot of the badass guys from that particular era in it, so
2: yeah, I watch it. Um, I'll put it on my list to watch it soon. In the meantime, number three, behind enemy lines. I like this film a lot. Uh, it's one of the rare films where Ellen Wilson gets to play an actual serious fella, who's uh in a crisis of a situation. Um, I think it's uh, Gabriel Mock plays his partner, his uh, co-pilot in that movie that gets gunned down. Spoilers. But Gene Hackman, man, what a film. Um, Have you guys ever seen it before?
5: No, I, I know the movie. I've never seen it,
4: though.
2: Okay. Jeff, you ever seen Behind Enemy Lines?
4: I have not also.
2: Okay well shit, I guess I'm alone on this island for now, um, until one of you two do see it, um, but yeah I, I definitely employ uh, you to to uh, check it out one day when there's nothing else to watch, and uh, it's it's available, I'm not even sure if it's streaming, um, yeah it's, it's, it's a really good film, can't really speak on the two sequels that, that got put out, but uh, yeah so, number three for me, Behind Enemy Lines and Justin, you're up
5: uh, I'm gonna steal Jeff's the dirty dozen and i'm going to toss in for a double feature kelly's heroes um from around the same time yeah um, okay yeah i didn't i didn't think any pg movies i was i was st- sticking strictly to pg13 so um but yeah those they're, they're they're different movies but they're from around the same time a similar thing like a group of guys on a mission one of those kind of movies um it's like the uh the Brad Pitt portion of *Inglorious Bastards*, but with more action. Like you know, that, that Tarantino was nodding toward those kind of movies with uh, *With Inglorious Bastards*. So, um, yeah, if you've never seen those, they're they're both interesting interesting watches.
2: Uh, Jeff,
4: let's see. We are at number three here. Correct. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, number three, I'm breaking uh Tom Cruise out of the box with Valkyrie. And <laughs> that works. Have you guys seen this one? No, I've seen i seen Valkyrie. Uh, yes. Again, I
5: know it, but I
4: haven't seen it. Yes, yeah, see, I, I, it's one of these movies I wasn't particularly interested in. And one day, Same. I don't know, I, it might have been uh, years ago when I was recovering from hernia surgery that I might just caught on cable one day, you know, or just turned it on and there was nothing else, and we just kind of left it on and let it play. It actually turned out to be a really good movie. I mean, if you you guys haven't seen it, but the general gist was that uh, oh, I've ba- seen it. Basically, uh,
2: huh? I've seen oh. it.
4: Okay, yeah, but you know, it's like the whole uh, like like officers in the the Nazi in Nazi uh, uh, Germany mm-hmm. start to question Hitler's sanity, and you know, like we're, we're, like we're 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 fucked if we continue letting this guy be in charge. That's a true story. So they kind of plan this. Yeah, this really uh, intricate assassination plot to take out him and his upper level generals, mm-hmm. and it's his own officers doing it. It's his own kind of like like just second tier uh, guys kind of putting this together. Put together by and, Tom Cruise. And
2: the,
4: yeah, and you know, yeah, it's got Tom Cruise. He doesn't do many bad films, so uh, and I, I was pleasantly surprised by how good it was, and 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 uh yeah i mean i'll, I'll just leave it at that because it's 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 it was way better than i thought it was gonna be and you know i'm, I'm getting I'm mad that i uh spent that time watching it
2: yeah i never went and saw it um or went out of my way to see it primarily because of the fact that it, i'm not much of a historian and um the, I, I know what the movie or uh <laughs> Maybe reword that, rephrase that. I'm not much of like a, a historic film person or whatever. Like I, I know the story of Valkyrie. I know how it ends. I know what happens. So it was really not much of a reason for me to see it other than to see Tom Cruise put on what I could only assume is a pretty solid performance, and it is. I re- finally got around to seeing it about six, seven years ago. Um, going to see my late grandfather to visit, and he was watching it. I went in, and he was in the living room, and it just started. Like, I think I missed the first five minutes, but other than that, I sat down and watched it with him, and I stayed for the duration of it, too. It's a good film. So...
4: Yeah, yeah it's it's along the lines of some of the like the if you're in the like heist movies you know where there's this real intricate oh, plot. Yeah, yeah, yep and they, and they all you know and everybody's got to do their thing at this time and then you're you're on your edge the whole time you, as you see just like okay are they gonna pull it off like because stuff's gonna go wrong and it's like, okay well how are they gonna deal with this and what's what's gonna happen and you know so it's it's kind of intense for a while in that sense
2: yeah it definitely is um all right, we're going to move on then to number two, uh, Dunkirk. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a legitimate big fan of this movie, Salt in a the Theater opening night with my brother. Um, I kind of revisited it though. I haven't watched it it's since like, it's been like four or five years, but uh, yeah, Dunkirk's awesome though. Uh, it in 70 millimeter, yeah, the whole experience, was great, um, we gotta cover that film one of these days too. I wouldn't mind talking about that. Maybe uh, later on this year, maybe maybe next summer, we can uh, sit down and go over Dunkirk. But it's a good fi- it's a good film. Um, if you like it too, listeners, there's an episode of the Rewatchables with Quentin Tarantino, and he's a guest, and he picked the film because they had him on for like three episodes in a row uh, about four years ago, and they let him pick the movies, and this was one of them. This, he picked the uh that train film, Unstoppable, the Tony Scott one with Denzel and Chris Pine. And then I, I, I forgot what the third film was, but uh this was one of them. So he's a big fan of the film, too. So it's got good taste. See, so it's Dunkirk's number two for me. That's a movie I need to go back and rewatch because I watched
5: it and I was like, yeah, it was, it was good. I didn't hate it, but I don't know. I just... I'm just not a Christopher Nolan fan. I I don't see in his movies what everybody else does. So
2: I I just get, I just like, he's hit or miss for me. Like I'm not, I'm not, I am not like rushing to go see Oppenheimer later on this month. Yeah. I I have zero
5: excitement for that
3: movie.
2: Same, same, but you know, I'm sure it's going to be a good film for performances. Uh, but yeah, um, other than that, you know, Inception, I love it. I've never seen Interstellar, believe it or not. But, yeah, I haven't uh, seen
5: Interstellar, and I, I still haven't seen. I started watching Tenet and just didn't,
1: did, not because good. of the movie,
5: just didn't Tenet's finish good. it. one and done. Whatever reason. Me. I thought. Yeah. See, I think isn't it the kind of movie you got to watch a bunch of times so you know what the fuck's going on?
2: No, I I, I picked it up the first time I saw it. Oh, I always hear everybody talk about it. But it, the, it's again. kind, of, it's it's rewarding to see it a bunch of other to, to watch it numerous times. But I don't know, I just didn't see the the reason to see it again. And I was like, okay, it's good, one and done. I liked it. I was fine. So yeah. Uh,
5: okay. So my number two again. It's a stretch. It's from that list. Um. It takes place during a war, but I don't think of it as a war movie. But Dances with Wolves. Um, I don't know. It's just it's a movie I like very much. Um, it kind of gets a bad rap, I think, because everybody's mad that it beat Goodfellas for the Best Picture that year, and I agree with that. Um, but I don't think that it that takes away from the movie in any way. So um, I, I can just watch the movie and separate that that whole aspect and enjoying the movie for what it is. And it's been on a, on cable a lot for some reason. So I, I've like watched it. It always is. It's been on cable yeah, for the last it 30 It seems years. like it's been a lot recently, like <laughs> yeah. every night recently. And like, I'll I'll turn it on if there's nothing else on or if, if I'm doing something and just need something on in the background and just kind of watch right. 15 minutes here, 40 minutes here, an hour, you know, 10 minutes here. So yeah, it's one of those kind of movies. I can just throw it on anytime and, and give it a look.
2: No, Jeff.
4: Okay, well, my my number two, probably also a bit of a stretch, but I I figure since uh, around 50% of the movie and most of the characters revolve around a war, I'm going to go with Forrest Gump. Just because, (laughs) you know, that reason. I mean, Forrest Gump wouldn't exist if it wasn't at least... Like I said, about fifty percent of war movie because of all the people he meets in the Vietnam War and who will later become his Vietnam best buddies, and Vietnam. it kind of it's kind of the catalyst behind like a good two thirds of the movie. So it was on that list I looked at.
5: So you're not alone. In-
4: for that reason, for that reason mm-hmm. alone, and, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, you could you can't really say much about Forrest Gump that hasn't already been said. We've all seen it. We all love it. We all know what it's about. And it's just kind of like one of those really interesting but timeless classics that has so much going on. And it's one of the better movies probably ever made, really. I mean, from the soundtrack to everything about it except for Everybody Hates Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) For obvious reasons. Yeah. Like she's become a meme in herself. (laughs) The older movie yeah
2: that'd be a fun film to cover actually the way it takes place throughout different eras and shit All uh we're at number one now uh my number one is Red Dawn I gotta be honest for reasons we're about to get into so Justin
5: same it was the PG-13 on my list that I would consider something of a war movie the rest of them were, were all very much stretches but um yeah We'll get into it, all
2: right, Jeff.
4: Actually, uh, I, I didn't put Red Dawn on the list because that's the movie we're discussing. I didn't even think about that it's as allowed. an option, but you know, we'll cover some other ones. Okay, well, for future reference, but <laughs> actually, for my number one, I kind of got a a twofer uh, with The Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers and Return of the King. Both PG thirteen and also considered among the most violent uh, <laughs> PG thirteen movies ever made because there are a lot of quite quite a few graphic uh, battles and kill scenes going on in these films. Oh, yes, and I mean, th- 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 what what can you say about Lord of the Rings? It's 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 epic. It they're huge battles. It, it's it's the everything about it is is damn near perfect. And if you don't, if you got four hours to kill watching the, especially watching the the extended director's cuts, it, it's kind of worth it if you're into that kind of thing because I, I don't know. I can't, it's hard to think of a better, of uh, 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 films that have done large scale battles in a, in a better way.
5: Yeah. Take Dances with Wolves off my list because as much as I love it, it's not a war movie. Throw in those Lord of the Rings movies. I didn't even think of those. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I remember just going to the theater and watching those things on a big screen. Those fucking battles were just jaw-dropping. Like, you know, hadn't seen it. It was absolutely crazy.
4: Like, you've you've never seen anything like that.
5: And it was one of those things where, like, everybody was like, can this guy really pull this thing off? Because it was unheard of at the time other than you know, very rare cases but it, i think it was maybe the first time ever anybody filmed like three movies back to back to back like that you know it just like created his own city in new zealand and, and you know set up shop there for years and did it and so mm-hmm. there was a lot on the line and when those things came out and delivered like You know that's why it was such a a phenomenon there was the movies themselves were fantastic but there was all that shit surrounding the movies it just it's one of those things where everything just clicked perfectly you know
2: that's right all right absolutely deep dive deep dive time So Red Dawn originally was called Ten Soldiers, and it was written by Kevin Reynolds. Yes, the same Kevin Reynolds who went on to direct What a World previous episode. And Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That's right. He's uh, Something tells me he's a big Kevin Costner supporter. So it was set in the near future as a combined force of Russians and Cubans. They launched an invasion on the southwestern U.S., Ten children take to the hills when their small town is captured, turning into a skilled and lethal guerrilla band. Producer Barry Beckerman read the script and in the words of Peter Bart, thought it had the potential to be a tough, tall art picture made on a modest budget that could possibly break out to find the wider audience. His father, Sidney Beckerman, helped him pay a $5,000 option. Reynolds, one of the directors, but the Beckermans wanted someone more established. Walter Hill briefly considered the script before turning it down, as did several other directors. The Beckermans pitched the project to David Begelman at MGM, but were turned down. They tried again at the studio when it was run by Frank Yablins, whose older brother Erwin would go on to produce Halloween for John Carpenter to direct. Senior Vice President for Production, Peter Bart, who remembers it as a sharply written anti-war movie, a sort of Lord of the Flies, took the project The Yoblins. The script's chances increased when Reynolds became mentored by Steven Spielberg, who helped him make Fandango. MGM eventually would buy the script to be turned into a feature film. Enter John Milius. Justin, who's John Milius?
5: Ah, well, he's... Started off as a right in the early seventies. He wrote a couple of the, I think he wrote the original Dirty Harry, but I know he wrote a couple of the Dirty Harry movies. Um, And then of course, the big thing that he wrote was Apocalypse Now. Um, mm-hmm. And then around the time of that, I guess he leveraged the Apocalypse Now script into a directing career for himself Um believe Dillinger was his first movie. Yeah. War uh, Oates. With Warren Oates is John Dillinger. And then he did, uh, he, he's apparently a big, like an avid surfer or was an avid surfer. Uh, so he made this movie called Big Wednesday um, Jam Michael Vincent, Gary Busey, um, surfing Jack. movie. I have that on my DVR. I still haven't watched it yet. Um, And then uh, his biggest hit up until that point would end up being uh conan the barbarian mm-hmm. in 82 um and then i guess based on not that that was a, a blockbuster or anything but i, I think it was a, a fairly well-regarded movie probably did okay at the box office and um i imagine he got red dawn as a result of that
2: it But he, big, and it had, was a big box office uh success the first conan
5: was it that? Bad? I don't remember it being a huge like box office hit. I thought it was like a, a modest hit, you know, $2. enough enough to
2: spawn a cheapy sequel. Just under eighty million dollars. Oh uh, wow! Against twenty million dollar budget.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's a big hit. I didn't. Yeah, it was. That. I think it was over a hundred uh, worldwide. It, it was like the the one that really launched Arnold's career. Yeah, you know, I just, all this is fresh in my mind from watching the damn documentaries recently. Yeah. But,
2: he was essentially um, forced to do Conan the Destroyer before he could do Terminator because of it.
5: I love Conan the Destroyer. Well, we won't talk about, about, about oh, that I love one. Conan the Destroyer. It's a shitty movie. <laughs> it's like, I love
4: it. Yeah, but, it's a ooh, shitty movie, please. but I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, see, I watch any shitty movie along those lines, but mm, that, you know, not as good as the first one.
5: <laughs> uh, but that—that's like Milius' his Hollywood career. But he was like, he was also just well known. Uh, he's he's a big guy you know physically a big guy and just kind of loud and uh he's like a very right wing republican like you know pro are, you know pro military pro cops um strong border you know like a like kind of guy and um it's his reputation in hollywood uh, you know, he'd like go to meetings, and he—I think he wore a gun everywhere he went. So he'd go into meetings in Hollywood with <laughs> fucking, you know, like a Beretta strapped to him or something. And um, and he it, 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 to get an idea like of, of who John Melius was as a person, the character, the John Goodman character, Walter, yes. In, Big Lebowski is based on John Melius. Yep. So like that, that's like a, a physical, a very close physical manifestation of, of who he was.
2: He also has a documentary just came out.
5: Yeah. It's not bad. I watched it a couple of years. It's, it's a couple years old at this point, okay. I think
2: he also, you know, as, as, as a big of a director that he was, his writing, I mean, he came up with the lines, Charlie don't serve. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. He's the one who came up with, go ahead, make my day. And ask yourself one question, do I feel lucky? Yeah. Well, do you, punk? (laughs) He also suggested... The most powerful
4: handgun in the world. He
2: he suggested the uh, USS Indianapolis monologue in Jaws. That's right. Yeah. I mean, this man's writing career is more iconic than his directing career, in my opinion.
5: Yeah, that's the thing. He... I think with Conan, with the first, well, he only did the first one. With Conan and Red Dawn, he came closest to fulfilling his potential as a director. And after Red Dawn, he just never really, really, nothing that he did came close to, you know, those heights, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. So, and we'll talk about it later on in this um, breakdown, but he was a bit of a nut behind the scenes. Uh, So Peter Bart, again recalls that things changed when the chief heads at uh, the chief tails at MGM got a better idea instead of making a poignant little anti-war movie why not make a teen Rambo and turn the project over to John Milius a (laughs) filmmaker who loved war movies the idea was especially popular with a member of the MGM board of directors General Alexander Haig the former Nixon chief and uh, chief of staff who yearned to supervise the film personally and develop a movie career. Bart says most of MGM's executives, except for Yablans, were opposed to Milius directing. Bart claims he made a last minute attempt to get Reynolds to direct the film and went to see Spielberg. However, by the stage, Fandango was in a rough cut and Bart sensed that Spielberg was disappointed in the film and would not speak up for Reynolds was signed to direct at a fee of $1.25 million, plus a gun of his choice. Milius (laughs) said about rewriting... He said... He went and rewrote the script. He and Haig devised a backstory in which the circumstances of the invasion would occur. This was reportedly based on Hitler's proposed plans to invade the U.S. during World War II. Haig took Milius under his wing, bringing him to the Hudson Institute the conservative think tank founded by Herman Kahn, to develop a plausible scenario. Milius saw the story as a third world liberation struggle in reverse. Haig introduced Nicaragua and suggested that with the collapse of NATO, a left-wing Mexican government would participate in the Soviet invasion, effectively splitting the U.S. in half. Bart says even Milius was taken aback by Haig's approach to the project. This is going to end up as a... Big ol' flag-waving film, Milius fretted. As a result, the budget of this six million movie almost tripled. Other changes included a shift in focus from conflict within the group to conflict between the teens and their oppressors, and the acceleration of the ages of some of the characters from early teens to high school age and beyond. There was also the addition of a sequence where some children visit a camp to find their parents have been brainwashed. Milius later said, I see this as an anti-war movie in the sense that if both sides could see this, maybe it wouldn't have to, hap- wouldn't have to happen. I think it would be good for Americans to see what a war would be like. The, the movie isn't even that violent. The war shows none of the horrors that could happen in World War III. In fact, everything that happened in the movie happened in World War II. Bart says Yablins pushed through filming faster than Milius wanted because MGM needed a movie over the summer. Milius wanted more time to plan, including devising futuristic weaponry and not to shoot over winter, but had to ex- exceed. So, apparently later on, MGM also had to apologize to Alaskan war veterans for the film's advertising that claimed that no foreign troops had ever landed on U.S. soil overlooking the the, Aleutin, the Aleutin Islands, Aleutian Islands, Campaign of World War II where Japanese soldiers occupied the Aleutian Islands, a part of Alaska, which is last time I checked, a part of the United States. Um and then I have here in my notes John Melius, aka the general. He had everyone call him the general instead of this movie. <laughs> it's fucking legendary.
4: Uh, that is some fucking hubris right uh, there.
5: <laughs> I the wonder time, if that's where uh the Collins Not only in uh, Big Lebowski, but in Barton Fink when uh, uh, the studio head uh, Lou, uh, oh shit, what's his last name? Anyway, the Michael Lerner character, when World War II starts, he starts dressing. He goes, I, I had the costume department department throw this together for me he's got like a full general's uniform yeah. on, that's and awesome. um john john Polito is like his little assistant yeah he like, yeah, yeah, was yeah. calling him the general the, <laughs> or general the colonel
2: one of the two i can't remember well, the colonel is another movie that's, yeah, that's Boogie nights
5: yeah yeah it's a different character but mm-hmm. yeah i, I wonder <laughs> if they got that familiar too. like oh, they're just obsessed with the guy
2: you know it uh at the time it was released Red Dawn was considered the most violent film by the Guinness Book of World Records and the National Coalition of Television Violence with a rate of 134 acts of violence per hour or 2.23 per minute. The 2007 special edition DVD includes an on-screen carnage counter and a nod to this. A few days after the NCTV survey came out, 35 protesters picketed the MGM UA building in opposition to the film. John Milius said, What these people really don't like is that the movie shows violence being perpetrated against Russian and Cuban invaders, which is what the demonstration was all about. My question is, where were all these demonstrators when the Russians shot down that airliner? Were they cheering? And what about the people being gassed in yellow rain in Afghanistan? There's really no pleasure in outraging these these people. I suppose next time some extreme right-wing organization will give me an award, which is equally ridiculous. Initially banned in Finland due to excessive violence, disagreements with Finland's foreign policy, and being too anti-Soviet. It was eventually released on video there. So yeah. Uh, so the film itself, it's got the worst worded opening narration ever it's, it's too, it's <laughs> too confusing it, i it forgot really about that
5: till i, wa- I rewatched this yesterday and like i completely forgot at the beginning how it just explains how like nato breaks down and like i was like yeah like all the the uh central american revolutions that are taking place i was like holy shit i forgot i completely forgot about this
4: aspect of it
5: Oh, it's, it's
2: it's yeah
4: famines in, in <laughs> Russia. Right, yeah, and there and was like, like like all these different things. Well, that was the USSR back
5: then. Wheat shortage or something that they took advantage of.
2: Yeah. Soviet Union suffers worst wheat harvest in fifty five years. Labor and <laughs> labor and food riots in Poland. Soviet troops invade. Cuba and Nicaragua reach troop strength goals of fifty thousand. No, five hundred thousand. What am I talking about? El Salvador and Honduras fall. Green's party gains control of West uh, West German parliament. Demands withdrawal of nuclear weapons from European soil.
4: <laughs> West German. This is all There's like whole, this hardly in The
2: film tells us Mexico plunged into revolution. NATO dissolves. United States stands alone.
5: And that's all like. Th- like I didn't know that whole backstory with Alexander Haig. Like that—that's that, all. I'm glad you mentioned all that because that, that's interesting. And now, that opening narration makes sense because Alexander Haig probably wrote that for Malius. He was—he was like, "All right, here's the scenario." It's like the guys now who plan like when you know uh, a solar flare <laughs> goes, yeah, like yeah,
3: something exactly. like that
5: happens, and the guys who are like, "All right, here's how society's going to break down." Like that's the, who Alexander Haig was. Like, he was one of those kind of guys. So. Um, and the thing I like, I so like, I'm very like, I'm way, way to the left politically. So, like, I'm not somebody who sees eye to eye with, with Melius politically, but I love that he made a complete, and he, from what you said, would deny this categorization, but I don't agree with him. A complete, like, batshit right wing movie. Like, I love. While not agreeing with those, <laughs> while not agreeing with those politics, I love those kind of movies. Like dragged across concrete, to me is the most batshit right wing movie that's come out in probably you know 20, you 30 more, years. Dude.
2: I could not agree with you more on that.
5: And I fucking love it for that reason. It's just Same. like it, it, I I think like everything can't just be a liberal Hollywood point of view. That's just. It, it, we're seeing what that looks like in movies or there's a shit right now because it's just like one opinion all the time
4: so I, yeah you get, you get a lot of blowback too you know like from that kind of just just mindset
5: yeah I, I like mix it up I want to see a different point of view even if I don't agree with it I still want to see it I'm interested to see how those people think you know it's different than me maybe I can learn something maybe not but at least I know where they're coming from you know so I, I, I welcome that and so I, I got giddy yesterday seeing that, that opening crawl I was just like this is fucking crazy. I forgot how crazy this is and it's just leading right into what's a fucking crazy movie. So I,
4: I think it's perfect. Yeah there's a whole lot of shit on that list that makes absolutely no <laughs> fucking sense. And what happens like it's like they're, the Russians are invading us for our fucking wheat fields because they ran out of land. Like it's the fucking Russians. <laughs> it's like, they have to they have more land for p- crops than anybody. Like, granted, half of it's like snow covered, but still, like that, you know, you know, like they, they, they have to have a little, little bit of land there they can grow shit on. Like fucking hell, like it's like, well, we need, we need more, more corn. We've been eating too much wheat in our diet. We need corn. Well, yeah, it's a, make it make sense to me. And Shout you guys <laughs> called it
5: called it a fever dream for teenagers who want to live like you know through the Wolverines. It's also a fever dream. For, like, right wing maniacs like Alexander Haig, oh, yeah, yeah, for preppers, yeah, and- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's probably one of their favorite movies, so you know, <laughs> I think it's awesome. Like,
2: you know, put put that kind they of shit out. This red dollar from 84 is their favorite. Well, I feel film. like a <laughs> lot of those people
4: don't mature, don't really mature too much past that age, right. so like, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. I mean, I think <laughs> everybody that has like 50 guns never quite, you know,
2: so I was gonna say, never quite
4: made it you know, to, to becoming a rational, functional adult in, in a 100% sense. But here we are.
2: So shout out to Wikipedia for including a nice little map to demonstrate or, or to uh, illustrate this uh, situation in this alternate Cold War that we're dealing with for this. Everything film. breaks down. Yeah. So essentially it's like color coded. They have pretty much most of the U.S. and Canada as blue and then red, which is obviously the the Soviet and uh, the the Mexicans, they're like kind of like boxing in the U.S. and kind of like going in from the top and bottom and meeting in the middle. And that's where Colorado is, <clears throat> according to this map. Now in this movie, they've already bombed major places, and that's also indicated, like D.C. and New York. Um, and then they have your
4: yeah. It's further broken down later on in the it film is. by uh, yeah by the, by the Colonel. Yeah. Neutral. Got- yeah, because they don't, they don't, the kids don't even really know what's going on. So, you know, in comes the colonel and he, he kind of maps it all out for him. Like, here's got how it, it went got down because you guys exposition. Out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So anyway, we got our opening credits over the cloud riddled skies. And then it's September. Film tells us all that breaks down the months. I, I like that. September, it's early morning. Uh, we're in this town, Calumet, Colorado. And we see the statue of Theodore Roosevelt, a.k.a. the Rough Rider, that I'm sure wouldn't have survived the rewriting of American history that seemingly took place a few years back when all the uh, statues went bye-bye. So we got Patrick Swayze's Jed, Jed Eckert, he's dropping his, his little brother, Matt, and uh, Matt's friend Robert off at school. Patrick Swayze, Robert is, um, I'm sorry, Rob, well, Robert C. Thomas Howe but uh, his brother Matt is Charlie Sheen in Charlie Sheen's first film now the story was originally set to be in this town of Calumet, Michigan it was moved though to the fictionalized town of Calumet, Colorado a more central location within the U.S. which better fit the story in real life Calumet, Colorado is no more than just a tiny former mining town that was abandoned in the 1970s so it's not even a real town anymore on the map so we got the boys in history class with Frank McRae teaching about Genghis Khan and the Mongol Empire and I like how he's got Genghis accidentally spelt with an H on the board so he's got the name spelled wrong that he's teaching and they <laughs> Genghis has an H in it doesn't it no yeah yeah I think it does Wait, no, it I does. think it does oh, it, it, no, it's, I'm sorry he's got two H's it's got one it's only, oh, it's two only got one H he's got it he's got it G-A-G-N it's not it's just G-E-N so, you know, they're talking about how they would attack their areas in the same manner that they're about to be attacked, ironically enough. And then we see these parachuters drop in. And they kill Frank McRae, who just comes out. All he wants to do is come outside and be like, what's going on? What's going on here? You need any help? Boom, boom. He gets shot a couple times. The
1: great hunt would always begin with the army spread out in a semicircle. I would say about the size of Rhode Island. Then they would ride forward driving everything before them. beast men, even bugs. Now the ends would kind of close in to form a shrinking circle. And everything within that circle panicked to get out. So when the Mongols could see each other, they had worked themselves up into a pretty good frenzy. Now when this killing started, It lasts for days, weeks, even months. And it went on until the young son of the Khan asked his father that the last creature alive be allowed to go free. Well, now, my friend. Oh now. Alright, check it out.
3: Oh.
0: Alright. look pretty cool
1: though, man. I would say they were way off course. Uh. This is very unusual. Why do you do something, Mr. Cheesdale. Mm-hmm. What's going my friend? i <laughs>
4: And he's squibbed up, so... Yeah, it's just, oh my, like, you, you, these guys are way off course. I should tell him, like, hey, what, what you doing, bud? <laughs> and <laughs>
5: and he said, uh, the shots are just like, nice big squibs, so I think... Like, oh, yeah. Right and then they shoot, they shoot him
2: down, and then they shoot at the, the class, and then you see like, one kid gets shot in the head. And my first yeah, thought just is just how bloody and violent this film is, even for a PG-13 rating. And to think that this was going to be PG... Cause they they filmed this and then the new reign got established. Cause it wasn't established until after Temple of Doom came out. Yeah, yeah, Temple of Doom's would freaked everybody out, and
5: they. It, it was, makes you wonder how long in advance this they were planning on it. But Temple of Doom's, yeah, they, it was the movie where they said. What was the, the difference in time between Temple of Doom and this? It wasn't. I think maybe well, two Temple or three of Doom months. Came out in
2: June. And then when did this come out? August.
5: August. Yeah, that's okay. it's, it wasn't long. It wasn't this long was after. the first it's film
2: that came out with the rating, with but it wasn't PG-13. the first film awarded the rating. The first film awarded the rating was the Flamingo Kid, but that got shelved for five months. So oh, okay. this didn't, ended I up coming out first, one. and that's how they got the first claim. It got dibs. Okay.
4: This, 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 this like opening scene right here is one of the reasons why I, I absolutely love this movie is because it it immediately puts its foot on your throat and doesn't let it <laughs> no, exactly. you know, You do like, get right into it. This guy's just walking out, and they ain't even cool about stuff. They go right, they, first they shoot the first guy that comes out, then they're just it shooting at the kids randomly, <laughs> and then somebody <laughs> fires a rocket into the school. They're like, "Holy shit!" Like, yeah. like it's it's fucking lit from the drop. I mean, like like less than five minutes in the film, and they're just they're just unloading on a high school. So <laughs> that's how you know it's like, "Wait, damn, this is intense." <laughs> they had
2: thirty six paratroopers when they shot this drop in for real. Five of them got blown out. A mile away off course <laughs> and they got stuck in trees and they had to convince locals that they weren't really enemy soldiers and shit
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> like that really happened uh, like, don't shoot I'm fine it's, I'm just we're filming a movie down the street I got burned off course don't mind me nothing to see here uh, so Jed doubles back and he gets Matt and his friends while the attack is going down and we see one of their friends. Um, they call him Arvark. Uh, his real name is um shit. Arturo. Yeah, Arturo. Thank you, Arturo, aka Arvark. His father is running after him, and we they they watch him as he's being captured by the uh, the enemies, and they're driving away. Then they stop and equip themselves at a gas station general store that's owned by Robert's father. They get the essentials, a bunch of weapons, sleeping bags, tents, food, shit ton of soda. Then they take off and highball up to the mountains, out of town. They eventually encounter a Soviet roadblock, but they're saved by this army helicopter that comes out of nowhere and blasts the roadblock out for them. And they fucking take off up in the hills, like I said. So, just, I want to note how scared Swayze is while they're driving and showing this, like... He's saying shit like, oh, God, oh, God. Like, they're, he's doing a good job of, like, showing off being scared.
0: Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We're going to turn
2: off quick. It's one of my favorite Swayze performances. He's really good Yeah, at this. he really is nailing it here. Like, he's giving off the fucking scared vibes pretty well. Pretty convincing, too. So, they end up taking turns pissing in the radiator.
0: You get it? yeah, that's got it. only thing is we got one problem. We don't have any water. How about pissing in it? <laughs> that's a good idea. Get up here. You,
3: Come on, get how up do you here. Go to work?
0: How old are you, kid? Fifteen? And the name's Danny, not, not kid. Well, when you uh grow up, you'll know these things, Danny. Now get up here and piss in the radiator.
2: Charlie Sheen and Patrick Swayze. Let's talk about them real quick. Like I said before, Charlie Sheen, first movie. Swayze, apparently, he stayed in character throughout filming. He's one of the method actors saying, I became Jed Eckert.
5: <laughs> hey, he gives probably the best performance in the movie. It works for him. What was that? I said he gives the best performance in the movie. I
4: guess it worked for him staying in character the whole time.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Easily. He is so good
4: at playing the honcho in that movie.
2: He does. And he's like, he's grounded in a sense that he's real. There's nothing about him that gives off, like, he's trying vibes. Like, he's doing a real good, convincing, impressive job. He's nailing all the the, the isms. Like, he's got full control of this role.
4: Just doing the best I can with what I, the hand I'm being dealt at this yeah. moment. Like, yes. you have a little patience, y'all. Exactly.
2: <laughs> And, and, and that goes without saying that I think Charlie Sheen does a good job, too. All things considered. This film is chock full of familiar faces. But I think these two characters here, these two performances from Charlie Sheen and, and Patrick Swayze are great. They make the film memorable. So then we cut to... There's 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 more attacks going on. It's nighttime. There's you know, The town's being attacked. A lot of nighttime shots just because it's the 80s and... It's an action film, and we like time shots, that's all. So we're introduced to the leader of the strike, Colonel Ernesto Vela, played by Ron O'Neill from Superfly and Superfly TNT, and he's criticizing the strike for being sloppy and out of control, calling the ordeal a madhouse. He instructs the KGB to go to the local sporting goods store and obtain the records of the gun sales, the ATF Form 4473, to determine who owns the firearms in the town and the surrounding rural area. Now, I got to say, this is some pretty fucking good writing here. This is some fucking slick shit. You're not going to think it's some good stuff like this in, your, in another second-rate Teen War film. I'll tell you that right now. Like, this is... That's all, yeah, because, you're like,
4: how else How else are you going to know who to round exactly. up? Exactly.
2: This is fucking You know, smart. also,
4: like, right, right in this sequence, and I think it might be a little bit earlier on... But there's kind of a cool little Easter egg in there where, you know, like the NRA stickers with the whole, like, you can have my gun when you pry my cold dead yeah, hands. Yeah, there's that too. Like, yeah, that like literally happens where like you, you see the bumper sticker and they pan to the, the dead guy laying on the ground uh-huh. and a soldier <laughs> kicks his gun out of his
3: hands. <laughs> that's that's
5: right. Like, yeah, that's, fuck, right. that's fucking off. Awesome. And that's what I was going to say when you said that that whole bit about the gun registry was so smart. That That's all Milius because that's no, that's doubt. one of that's for the, like the pro gun people. That's like their main argument against national registries. It's like, okay, well, what happens when the government decides they just want to take everybody's gun? They got a nice handy list of where you know they're going to go to start You're showing the people's houses. Exactly. So that that's like again, this is a very right. I don't care what Millia says. This is a very right wing movie, and that it's like that just is one of the more front and center things that Mm -hmm. that I liked about. I'm like, okay, again, it's one of those arguments I always hear in politics. And it was kind of, it was cool to see him injected into this movie.
2: Yep. So back to the kids, they're all held up in the forest above town. Many of them are doubting that they're going to, you know, survive with the limited supplies and junk that they brought. Some of them want to turn themselves in they all miss their families, some wish for a democracy, but Jed's not having any of that shit. Uh uh-uh. he reminds them it's World War 3 down there and people are being killed. He says their families would want them to be all be alive and that right now they're alone and just a bunch of scared kids. Eventually they decide to stay and make up. And Jed says they could they can hunt. They have the skills to make it up there for a very long time or at least until the choppers stop flying over. So we get cut to Jed and Matt. They're showing Robert how to properly hunt for deer. And they we see them nab one. Then they have him drink its blood. Call this the spirit of the deer. I got him! You got him. <sighs> right, really eat
0: He's still breathing! No, 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 no. Never shoot twice. Why? If you shoot twice, I can find you. He's dead anyway. How do you know? I used to uh, read a lot about Jedediah Smith and Jim Bridger, and the Blackfeet, if you shot twice, wouldn't know right where you were. My dad named me after Jed Smith. This your first time, isn't it? You got a drink if it's your first. We did. What's it taste like? It's not too bad. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of salty, like a steak when you got a nosebleed, you know. You got to do it, Robert. It's the spirit of the deer. When you drink it, you'll be a real hunter. Bottoms up. Go, go ahead. Go, no, go for it, buddy. All right, all right. Hey. You did it. <laughs> His blood is yours. You know, my dad said that once you do that, there's going to be something different about you. Always. Isn't so
2: bad. that bad. Where are you guys at on C. Thomas Howell? I mm,
5: never actor. really had too big of an opinion on him. Like he, he's in a handful of movies that I like, but I don't watch them because he's in them. You know, no offense to C. Thomas Howell. He's just he's, he he picked good roles, but he was never a guy that really did anything that made him stand out. You know what I mean? Like, he, boy. not that he was ever that he was ever bad you know he's good in this he's good in the the outsiders um i've been dying to rewatch the most offensive movie ever made soul man uh so i can't speak (laughs) how he is in that (laughs) i was
2: gonna ask where you guys were on soul man next
5: (laughs) but yeah i mean he's he's appeared in some
2: some cool flicks (laughs) et Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess he technically is in E.T. Yeah. I'm not, my foray in the fucking C. Thomas Howe began with The Hitcher. And That's right. The Hitcher's another one. I've always yeah. been very critical of his performance in that movie. As much as I love yes. The Hitcher. I agree. He, the way he comes off in that film, I've always, I don't know, like... It's a damn shame that he survives and Jennifer (laughs) Jason leaves the one who gets ripped in half. (laughs) He's the weak link in that movie. Definitely.
5: I almost bought that the other day when we were at Soundgarden and that's one of the ones I put back. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get the Hitcher today.
2: Oh, shit. That being said... I kind of get those kind of vibes whenever I see this movie in him and those there's, there's whiny vibes. Like It's kind of like I'm getting flashbacks of his performance in The Hitcher when I watch this um, sometimes. I didn't get those today watching this movie, though. But it's not to say that that doesn't happen every time I watch this movie. But, and you
5: know, it's about his performance. Like, and I agree. But I think it, it works, though, in this movie because... He's whiny at the beginning when they're all scared shitless, and he's just a kid. And then you get
2: hardened up.
5: Yeah, it, it makes yeah, sense. Like, and then, like he, his is the one character that actually goes through an arc throughout the movie. Everybody else is kind of who they are at the end as they were at the beginning, except for him. So yeah, I think just, he actually gives a decent performance.
4: Yeah, I, th- I feel like. See, I wanted to talk more about this later on, but he's kind of my dude in this movie, as far as like uh, his whole kind of. Character development because he is kind of that, you know, like awkward, nerdy, like whiny little bitch, like the sidekick kind of character. And the more it goes, it's like the more psychopathic he gets <laughs> throughout the movie yeah. until he's just like basically just like a cold-blooded killer. Like, just he just 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 because, like, over the top, he doesn't give a f- he has right. he, he loses. It's like you can slowly see him losing fucks as the movie goes on, <laughs> and, and a lot of it. By the ahead, by, Jeff, you know, I would say by the end, it's it's like he, he has no fucks left, and he just, you know, <laughs> when we get to that part, you know, we cross that bridge. But you, you guys understand what I'm saying. It's like he kind of it, it's a it's a very interesting development, like like you said, and and I think he's one of the more interesting, even though he's not front and center like Patrick Swayze is the whole time, because the movie is really him. And Charlie Sheen is his second. He's kind of like the uh, the the third, and also the wild card. You know, what I mean, like the Charlie on, on Always Sunny. You know, he's like you. Know, it's like you're not sure what the fuck this guy's got <laughs> going on at any point in time. Wild but card he's bitches, in it. wild card bitches, and he he is in it. Like he he and and, and he turns out to be one of the more. I mean, I, I guess pivotal characters in one of the more pivotal scenes. So.
5: And a lot of what he does is with looks. It's not dialogue or, or big action. Like, he's just kind of sitting off to the side, like, quietly judging everybody else. Like, there's the one scene, like, he's already found out that his parents are dead, and then everybody else is finding out that their parents got killed, and they're all crying and hugging each other. And he's just off to the side kind of looking at him a little bit disdainfully because he's just, like, he's already gone through that process and gotten over it and has, has come out the other side already. So he's just like sitting there doing a whole thing with just like silently, like, just with like his throwing eyes. barrels
4: and off of his shotgun and shit, like right. Like, them, yeah, going to spray people at a closer range. Yeah, it, it's a
5: good, it's a good performance. You know, he's it, it, not Brando. I'm not saying that, but it's, it, it's yeah. He's one not of the, my
4: favorite like actor yeah. in general, but in this film, it, it totally works for him. Yeah, he's very good here.
2: Alright, so Jed agrees to go in the town after everyone gets curious and they, they have to know. They, they just have to. So when they arrive in town, they blend in <laughs> while trying to get everyone... They're trying to get all the information that they need, certain people's whereabouts, what have you. They find out that the Cubans are looking for all of them and that they, they took certain people and stuck them into re-education camps, as they call it. And this is when... Uh, we see Harry Dean Stanton in his one and only scene, playing the father of Jed and Matt boys. He says, "Don't talk, don't say anything. Just let me look at you." I was tough on you. He lets them know that he was harsh on them for a reason, because he was pretty much getting them ready for the real world, or if things were to go down the way they were uh, a little, a little, um, a little early, like in this instance. And then, we, of course, we get the. Uh, avenge me moment
0: Sorry, boys ready? Yeah, Dad, Jet? Daddy don't talk don't say anything let me look at you yeah I knew I was right I knew it you're alive I was tough on both of you. I did things that made you made you hate me sometimes. But you understand now, don't you? What happened there? What?
3: What you hear? What they do?
0: Doesn't matter. One way or another, one reason or another, we're all gone. It's all gone.
3: Remember Remember
0: when you used to go in the park and play? And I used to put you on the swings. And both of you were so damn little. Gutter. I remember, I remember all of it. Well, I ain't gonna be around to pick you up when you fall now. Both of you got to take care of each other now. I'll never see you again, Dad. Yes, you will. I don't want to hear that, Maddie. What happened to Mom, Dad? Where is she? I can't afford to be crying anymore now. I won't either one of you ever, ever cry for me again. ever do it. Not as long as you live. Where's my dad, Mr. Record? I don't know, son. I
3: don't
0: know. <laughs> Go get going now. Get out before they find you.
3: Dad, I love you.
0: I know you do, son. I love you too.
3: We bring little that you have never heard the of the Boys! AVENGE ME! AVENGE
4: ME! Yeah, don't cry for me, don't ever cry again, and then as soon as they walk away...
2: What happens, exactly, and plus you guys... the boys! (laughs) Yeah. Harry Dean Stanton, we just talked about him recently, me and Corey, on the Alien episode, but you can never have too many Harry Dean Stanton conversations... (laughs) big fan of his I've always been like he's an actor who I grew up watching ever since I got into film at like a very young age he's always someone who stood out ever since movies like Alien that I've been watching since I was like five or six
5: yeah he was one of the original that guys for me yeah oh that guy's in a bunch of movies that I like and then you know got
2: a little older and learned his name yeah right exactly and he never stopped and it was like okay this guy is clearly never gonna go anywhere is he age and for a while, even <laughs> that was seemed uncertain. And then finally, you know, age finally caught up to him. But the thing is, he was still working. He never yep. stopped. You know, he probably fucking passed away on a movie or uh, on a movie oh, on a movie set. <laughs>
5: That last movie did, I forget what it's called now, but it's supposed to be really good. I've always meant to go back and check it out. I I wish I could remember. And I don't think he – did he direct it? He might even have directed it. I can't remember. But uh, I just recently watched – because he's usually like a supporting character. So every once in a while, though, he gets to be a star or a co-star. And uh, I just recently watched Paris, Texas, um, where he's one of the – him and Dean Stockwell – and, you know, he's fucking excellent. It's just, it's great to see him in a starring role every once in a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, this is one of those things like he, he Judy Dench is this movie. He comes in and in about two minutes screen time just fucking steals it, you know?
2: That, 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 exactly. I mean, that's all he needs, you know, is, is just a couple of one scene, a couple minutes, yeah. he'll, he'll nail it. They'll put on a clinic like you've never seen.
5: (laughs) And just to go back for a second. So this is there's a couple things in the movie that that do bother me. I love this movie, but there's a couple things, especially this last watch that that stood out. So these three guys, these three high school age kids, Uh fit high school age kids who could potentially be you know, soldiers. <laughs> or, well, Swayze's or a post- older. Swayze's right, old. right, ah, he's a bit, cool. right, even worse. So, I mean, just, I, I had a hard time believing that these three guys could openly just walk around the town in the middle of the day and not just get totally hassled. Every like, time they, I watch
2: this film, had, I always think like, up how up are the they not called? How are they not spotted? <laughs> Especially when they say, everyone's looking for you. Like, how <laughs> right. the fuck are they able well, to know? Apparently, they, so- you know, shit calmed down to the point
4: where, you know, I I, I I thought about that. It's just kind of I guess just shit calmed down for a minute because uh, Ernesto, you know, you know O'Neill, he he comes in and says, okay, you guys are, are going about shit the wrong way. You, we gotta get this under control. So they're probably just not just going around just just just, just shaking everybody down the whole time. They want to have some semblance of normalcy here, or otherwise everybody gets out of line, and then you got you know just full scale rebellion all the time. So. I think they kind of just, just probably by just dumb luck, just picked the right moment to try to just, just come back and see what's going on because they saw people walking around. They thought, hey, wh- why the hell not? Maybe we can do it. And chances are, the average, you know, Joe soldier that's r- walking a post like the guy, like the guy in the uh, the the what was it the the drugstore. The, uh, he's probably not carrying around a picture of all these guys like oh wait a minute that might be the guy you know like so he, it, it's it's somewhat plausible because I think they went right in the middle of the town and they found somebody they knew and then they go back out and she's like okay you go over to the uh, the drive-in and
2: right I mean, and then they're they're be.
4: sent back went back to the mountains after that
2: it's not like we know for sure you know what the town looks like you know it's not like we have a map to reference or anything like that we just know that the Town has a drive-in theater, and that's what they're using for this re-education camp that they're, that they're holding the uh, certain people in. Uh, my issue, my gripe that I actually wrote down here is everyone's unconvincing crying face, and and Sheen, <laughs> Charlie Sheen, saying "Daddy," like I don't know. I just have a "Daddy,", I just, a daddy the, the "Daddy" thing always makes me go, "Oh." Uh. But their, their crying faces are not the best. Especially Patrick Swayze. Love the man. Miss him. Hell of an actor, especially in this movie. But he ain't perfect. And the crying face he puts on, that's what I'm, you know, referencing. It's, I don't know, it's not for me. It's not my bag, man. So the All kids... How do you get over they, it. Yeah, they, 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 miss, they visit the Masons. They, uh... This, uh family behind enemy lines in quote-unquote occupied america and this is where they learned that robert's father was executed the, the man who helped them stock up on supplies and whatnot see thomas house father they killed him for aiding gorillas aka so they found guns missing like, yeah exactly I mean, well, I mean, that
4: comes full circle at that point
2: right right and uh the, it's worth mentioning that the uh the, the, the Mr. Mason that they're talking to here Jack Mason is Ben Johnson all yeah, right Ben Johnson. Fucking love Ben Johnson he's an actor you know he's no longer with us sadly but he's a man who just pops up in so many roles I mean in, in so many movies that are beloved to me from g- genre work from from this time like he was in uh like I said this terror train. He was in the swarm, the town of Dread Sundown. He got around, you know. Cherry 2000, anybody? <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time.
5: But, long, but I am talking like 35 years. I haven't seen it. And he's that always so been a dude. I, other than Melanie Griffith.
2: Yeah, Melanie Griffith, Tom Tom, Tom Thompson. And he's always been a dude that when he shows up, he just. He has this like Aurora or something about him that, like, comes through the Academy Award winner and, like, just makes me happy. Like, oh, it's Ben Johnson. I'm going to smile now because Ben Johnson's on my screen, you know? Man's a fucking legend.
5: Yeah, guy's a great actor. Last picture show. Yeah, that's what he won the Academy Award for. He's amazing in that
2: movie. You know, in this movie as well. The two scenes we see him in are some of my favorites.
5: Everybody, like, all the that guys in this movie, Really, only in two, maybe three scenes for the most right, part. Right. Right. There's a it's couple that that are minor players, but they, yeah, there's like Lane Smith's another one, two, three scenes. or three scenes. all them, of Right, and all of them, they all kill it. Like each one of them, just like they do in this movie, what you've come to love for you know, love them they for. Do in place. They do their stick. They do. They do their stick, for. and they do it perfectly.
2: Yep. Everyone's fucking batting a thousand. Yep. <laughs> so, Jed and Matt. They're told to return if they ever need anything, including food or bed. And then they're asked to take care of their granddaughters, Tony and Erica. Jennifer Gray and Leah Thompson.
6: Use see where you're standing from now Radio? We can't oh,
0: take this.
6: It's nah, no, all right. I got another one. Now you boys listen to me. Don't go to Calumet no more. How come? Because there's been some attacks up there. Um, people waking up with their throats cut. Word has is it's you?
3: No.
4: What happened to
6: my
1: dad and mom?
6: Your daddy's dead, Robert. They shot him. <laughs> Russians found some guns missing, so they shot him for aiding gorillas.
0: What do you mean aiding gorillas? He never ate anybody. And we just took the stuff.
6: We killed them. They killed him, son. Made him an example. Now you boys listen to me and let that burn in real good. I don't know where your mother is, Robert. I ain't got nobody now. You boys need food, a bed, you need anything, you come here. I got a couple of heirlooms I want to hide with you.
0: Hey, Jack, no.
6: My granddaughters, they spent two days sneaking here. Sons of bitches tried having their way with them. Tony, Erica, this is Matt and Jed Eckert. They're going to take care of you. So this is
2: Jennifer Grey. Little pre-Dirty Dancing. Three years before Dirty Dancing, we have Baby and Johnny together. Johnny, right? That was his name? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So... Um, and Leah Thompson, of course, uh, Howard the Duck the classics, (laughs) the classic Howard the Duck. Oh, I'm just kidding. Bad to the future. Of course I'm referring to. And even before this, she was in Jaws three. That's right. Prior to this, <laughs> Does she, doesn't she get like her her foot bitten off she or get, something like she that? She
5: not bitten off. I think I don't even know if she get bit or is it the fin that? Like, I think she gets it? like scraped
2: or something. Yeah, like, I think the
5: fin gets her.
2: She gets her shit. Something, something
5: kind of nails or her leg. It's like,
2: yeah, a tooth on her.
5: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I always thought that she was like the the skier who got a leg bitten off or something. I guess not. She just gets no, injured. No, it's not.
5: It's not that. It's it, she. she She's a victim of the shark, but it's not that bad. Nothing gets bitten off.
2: All right. So they're all on the horses now. A lot of horseback riding going on. And I want to take note here that C. Thomas Howe kind of pulled double duty because not only is he an actor, but he previously was a rodeo cowboy. So he was actually (laughs) on set helping the cast, teaching them how to ride the horses that we see them on. Yeah. No shit.
5: He was
2: like a child rodeo cowboy? Yeah. Wow. You know, certain people, after they become a rodeo, they take up their... They either become actors or they become Walmart Yodlers. Come on, you know, wranglers. <laughs> so a few soldiers come up to the mountains into their territory. They're snapping <laughs> pictures at the uh, Arapaho National Forest. I think I pronounced that right. Where the battlefield took place. Arapaho
4: is the word you're looking for.
2: Arapaho, Arapaho. come on.
4: Arapaho. (laughs) It's an Indian tribe.
2: I'm I'm known for my enunciations on this show. Come on, now, (laughs) so they're up there, you know, reading the uh, the sign and taking pictures, snapping snapping photos and stuff, taking selfies, and then um, the Wolverines. They're, they're, well, they're trying to hide and they're spotted and they fucking just take advantage of the situation and beat them and kill them like one guy is like literally saying I'm being killed Like they're killing me
4: And it's so awkward like, at that moment because like they don't know what to fucking do so they they, they basically walked over there to, to check them out it's like alright well maybe we should look into this because they, they came all the way the hell up here right next to where they're at and so they're kind of half ass lined up just, just checking out what they're doing and like half of them run, the other half was you know he's just fucking he just like stuck there and they're trying to like fight with the guys and the dude takes an arrow to his back. He's like fuck.
2: Like, he's like help, help me. me, comrades! They're killing me. <laughs> and yeah, I mean exactly because they're they're they are they are they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're kids. Half of them take off because that's what half the kids would do. Like the realism in this movie, I gotta fucking call call it out again. It, it's it's really. It's on point, you know? Um, They do a lot of things that... I don't know. I feel like a lot of filmmakers wouldn't even think to include... When taking part of... the, the, the The whole thought process is what I'm referring to. Or alluding to. So, later that evening, the group recount the events... And say that it felt good. That now, one thing's for sure. No one can never go home again. So... Colonel Bella, along with his Jimmy Smiths-looking general, forbid soldiers from traveling outside of the borders, and they have a conversation with the town mayor, Mayor Bates, played by Elaine Smith. Who you talked about Justin, um, his son Daryl is one of the Wolverines. So the Soviets start responding to these attacks with reprisals, including uh, their executions being brought out uh, by different groups of civilians from the town every time the wolverines attack they kill a, a group of civilians well
4: it's and at that point when the, their own mayor basically rats them out like, which is just fucking crazy he's right. like oh well it ain't my son and they're like well are you sure because he's like the leader of the student body Are you sure he's not they're like no, no no he's an eagle scout no, no. eagle scouts ain't like that but you know who is like maybe, maybe you should look at these families. Like, what a piece of shit! Like oh, typical
3: politicians. He's and like, then next um, thing you know,
4: all those people, all literally all those people are lined up in a, in a, in a firing squad.
2: Exactly. It, it's it's very, I mean, tragic's the word, honestly. Because he's like he's like fucking Ellis and Die Hard. You know, he's. just... <laughs> Selling out, saving you know, selling his soul to save his own back or whatever. Um, but that's
5: uh, that's more Milius. It's like his his statement on politicians, like
2: just now It's so on calling them
4: all so pieces true. of shit, basically. Yeah, yeah. They would they would rat out their own you know, like right. like constituents in a second to save their own family. you yep. right, and so, their own ass. I mean, for that matter.
2: Um. Yeah, and it's. it's um, Harry Dean Stanton and um, Arvark's father—they're killed in in the first uh, ex- execution that they that they carry out. And they, they the, the boys see this, you know, take place from afar with the binoculars, and they're crippled. And this is the famous scene. Don't cry. Let it turn into something else. This is one of the one of my favorite scenes in this movie. It's uh great line don't cry let it turn into something else I've always thought about that Um, in terms of this movie don't
0: cry hold it back let it turn to something else <laughs> just let it turn to something else
3: okay
0: <laughs> listen listen, listen, listen. Don't cry. Don't you ever cry again. As long as you live. As long as you live, never do it. you
3: hear me? They're gonna kill us! All of us!
0: So why should we be different something else?
3: Turn something else, but it turns. But it turns. And
2: after they have their moment, we see them counterattack in the form of a montage. Beginning <laughs> with Tony's basket of boom for the tank stopping for gas. And the spider holes. <laughs> the spider holes, exactly. <laughs> it, makes
4: they, it makes it makes its way back around.
2: They're starting to tie their names and everything that they attack. And real green barrettes in real life help the actors train in the boot camp. The actors trained for eight weeks using real weapons, so that they wouldn't make mistakes using prop ones. And my other note here is according to this original trailer from the Laserdisc, there was a scene in which a tank rolls up on a McDonald's, where a bunch of enemy soldiers are eaten, and the scene did not appear in the final cut, and was most likely removed due to a mass shooting at the McDonald's in San Sidro, California, a few weeks before the film opened. In the film, it's now November, and we see Erica spotting the remains of a brought-down air fighter, and eventually finds an unconscious pilot named Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Tanner, who was recently shot down. She offers him food and brings him back to camp, essentially. Powers Booth, baby.
6: What kind of plan you fly? Well, I did fly an F-15. Yeah. <sighs>
1: I'm an Eagle driver.
0: Hey, take this. I got this off a dead
1: Russian major. Major, huh?
5: Yeah. Well, I guess it ought to fit on a colonel.
1: You the honcho sport? Who are you? Andrew Tanner, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Air Force. How'd you get yourself shot down, Colonel? It was five to one. I got four. (laughs) I'm Jed. How you doing, Jed?
0: Good as can be.
2: So, yeah, I love Mason Powers Booth. Rest in peace. Damn shame the man didn't get enough good roles. But the work that he did give us fucking impressive phenomenal stuff I mean yeah, he really makes does. the most out of every role he I was about to say man he took some meaningless shit from like the Sin City <laughs> movies and made it all about him by the sequel you know he was just great for shit like that one of my favorite villains in a Van Damme movie sudden death Van Damme movies. <laughs> tanner was originally written as a proud military man who was also anti-war but who also served as the movie's voice of reason booth was less than thrilled when the character was made into a less complex and more conventional warrior but he made the most out of it you know i love the character of andrew tanner except for a couple things that or one specific thing that we'll get into he informs the wolverines of the current state of the war Several American cities, including D.C. and Omaha, were destroyed by nuclear strikes. Strategic Air Command was crippled by Cuban saboteurs, and paratroopers were dropped from airliners to seize key positions in preparation for the main assaults via Mexico and Alaska. Most of the southern U.S. and northwest Canada are occupied by the Soviets, but American counterattacks have halted any further advances along the Rockies and the Mississippi. America's only foreign allies, China and the UK, remain active against the Soviets but are militarily crippled. And this is our spoon-fed exposition.
5: And I love that they, again, another, like, big right-wing thing is the, the southern border. And that's how they marched everybody in, which is right. what they're always like. You watch Fox News at any point of the day; that's literally what they're saying on there. Like, yeah, they're there just marching know. through.
4: They'll tell you exactly so, like, that's how it would happen. Because right, exactly, Mexico, so. probably not the most stable government <laughs> in the world. <laughs>
5: like. Nah. So I love to just show you, like they—they've been talking about this. This the stuff we hear them talking about now. They've been talking about for at least forty years. It's, Kind of interesting in that regard. I want to go back to also with the the Powers Booth thing, because I found this interesting. I never thought about it before, but you said that the character was more complex the way it was written, and then it kind of got chopped down. I always, and I guess this is a testament to his performance then, I always found his character to be not like... A Rambo type soldier. He was just like a normal guy who happens to be a good soldier. But if he had his druthers, he'd be home with his wife, like painting his house. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't take it that he's this, this like kick ass kind of guy. He's just a guy doing his job. Um, and I guess now I think about it, the character isn't really written that way, but he plays it that way. And I think it, to me, it always came across like that anyway, you know? So just makes the performance that much better knowing that, I think.
4: So totally. mm-hmm. it's kind of like he's there and he's doing what he's supposed to do because right. he he's good at it, but he isn't real. It's not really his thing anymore. Got kind of like the old like grizzled kind of soldier type, where yes. you just you know you just you've you've had about enough of this shit. But because yeah we uh, he, he make and they make it a point to say he's a colonel. So like at that point, you know, okay, well you, you've done r- risen through the ranks. You're a good pilot. Well now you're on the ground with a bunch of kids. So. I guess the best thing you can do is try to point them in the right direction because, you know, he just, again, like Jed, he's just trying to do the right thing and doing the best with what he's got in front of him.
5: And he, like, he talks to Jed at one point about, I forget where it is exactly he's saying to go, but there's, like, like if they, like, he's gonna, he plans on leaving and, like, going to a certain, you know, like, there's a, a, like, California maybe I think that the Americans are still holding on to, so he's like... He's like, let's go to California. You, we don't. You don't need to stay here and fight this fight. Like he doesn't say it that way, but that's that's what the conversation's about.
4: Um, yeah, that that part's coming up when they when they actually go to the the battlefield. But yeah, yeah but, and I think if you, I've seen the maps drawn of it, and, I, and there's just like a, basically just like a big circle around the Midwest, which is like okay, part of it's the occupied zone, part of it's not. So, and, and, and it kind of outstretches from there. So the coasts are still basically under United States control and yeah. then everything in between is kind of a, a gray area.
5: Yeah. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, let, let's do, And the, the reason I bring that up is just to underscore that he's a guy who he, he's not like Rambo, you know, he's just, he's a guy who's, who's doing his job. Who I think feels like he, he's done his job and now sees an opportunity just to take these kids with them and and get to somewhere safe and you know fight the battle another way rather than being behind enemy lines so um, exactly yeah Yeah. and and that that i guess it comes through mostly no but see that's the writing there so i don't know i just it's weird to me to say that they they whittled the character down so he's just um you know like a a, a war hawk. He he doesn't come across that way at all.
4: No, not at all. I mean, it's it's kind of. I mean, it's kind of brilliant in a way because he's he's not even telling him like, "Look, you guys ought to." This this is what you need to do. He's kind of presenting it like a, a, a choice at that point where. So like, like, look, I'm heading out. You guys ought to come with me <laughs> like this. yeah. This, like, trust me, I'm, from it, I'm coming from a place of experience. Like, this isn't what you want to do with your life. Like, you should right. probably right. just head on out right now. You've done a lot. Like, let, let the professionals take over from here. Yeah,
2: right. You see him start assisting the Wolverines in more attacks. Eventually, they draw the attention of Soviet general Brazenko would we'll say that, Brazenko, who orders further appraisals against the civilian population. Later in the evening, when he sees Robert Merck in his rifle, he tells him, all that hate's going to burn you up, to which he replies, keeps me warm.
6: All that hate's going to burn you up, kid. Keeps me warm.
2: Love it. <laughs> snowfall time you see tanner lead the team into one of the uh re-education camps to free and arm the prisoners as well as blow up one of the big aerojet jet fighters or air fighter jets all of this has the attention of the general who orders further reprisals against the civilian population and this is when um in real life because it got so cold when filming because they once said that this was like one of the f- coldest uh, productions on record for Hollywood. Swayze got frostbite and a few years later apparently he said that it felt like someone was shoving toothpicks against his up in his fingernails whenever it got too cold. That the actors and actresses had to adapt to filming in these temperatures that were often well below zero degrees Fahrenheit. It's one of the coldest productions like I said on record. It's And all the snow shows. stuff looks great. Yeah, yeah it, 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 look,
5: it really looks good. Yeah. The snow
2: stuff looks great. and I love how they're wearing the matching the, the snow outfits. Like, it's yeah. just, it's it, great. Great yeah, tactical yeah. stuff.
4: And that's a, that whole element of realism that it has, because yes. when you're based in, in the Rockies, you're not just fighting the enemy, you're fighting the elements. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a whole thing to just be able to survive in those conditions under perfect you know, conditions. <laughs> you know, like, if you had everything you could take with you to go camp out in the damn woods, in the Rockies in winter, you'd still probably have a hell of a time. Even now, <laughs> like these, you know, these kids are out there doing it. They're filming it, you know. <laughs> but like but this is this is going on, and they're they're just doing it by taking all the shit. Well, the Russians got good shit. Let's take theirs.
2: So now we're in January, and we see the team uh, now in the white attire to but in the fall in a battlefield watching a, ta- a tank battle, and Tanner. Tries telling Jed to quit now and grow old, but before he can even respond, they have to hide from an incoming tank. And there's a crossfire that they get caught in the middle of, and Ardvark starts to panic. He gets shot, killed, along with Tanner. I love Tanner's dying words. Come on, <laughs> buddies. Come and get them. Shoot straight for <laughs> once, you army pukes. Army pukes. And the way he says it, his delivery. Yeah, and he, is what and he makes fucking it.
4: And he throws the, uh, the the smoke grenade in there. He's like, here, hit this fucking dog. Yes. Like <laughs> he's like, Here, how does I'll light it up for you. Just fucking aim at me here, dummy.
2: But we get this burial service for him and Aardvark after that, that follows. And um yeah. Exit stage left, powers booth, man. Gonna miss you. And now it's February. There's a parade happening in the town for the general, with all the civilians forced to be spectators. And later we see the Soviets' plans change. No more reprisals for every attack. From now on, they're just going to invade their territory the same way their territory keeps being invaded. Fight fire with fire. However, the Wolverines expected this and have an attack plan of their own. One that we see being carried out as the Soviet soldiers enter their wooded hideout area with a tracking device. It's revealed... Off screen, obviously... That Daryl's got the tractor in him... Daryl was caught by the KGB... After his father informs him... That, that he has to come into town... And after torturing him... They put this... Uh, they, they force feed him... This device... And they release him... To go back to his friends... And that's how they're... They're being... They're... Traced, essentially... And they... Um... Yeah, Daryl confesses... And he pleads for mercy after jed and matt can't kill their friend robert's like give me that gun
0: hey 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 look this thing's got an arrow it's pun. Po- it's uh it's pointing it's uh where 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 right here girl Where is it? Where is it? God damn it! Where's the butt? <laughs> they made me swallow it. Daryl, what have you done? I went into <laughs> town. It got caught! It, and we got caught! Why? Because you said we couldn't. <laughs> you told him where we were, didn't you? You told him! My father turned me in. Oh, God, they did things you can't
3: imagine. <laughs> you son of a bitch! You
0: want blindfolds? This is viral at the Danilo Convention. I never heard of it. Dog face. I show you how Soviet dies. I've seen it before, pal. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. Jet, let him go. Shut up, Danny. He was one of us. Shut up. He told them where we were! He did. Now get your rifles. No! What did you say? I said no! We're not doing it! Boy, say it to you, our friend. So I may not die alone. What's the difference, kid, huh? I'll do it. Shut up, Robert. Tell me, what's the difference between us and them? Because? We live here! Don't
3: shoot! Don't shoot! Don't shoot! Don't shoot yet!
4: don't even think about it it's it's it's, 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 that whole scene is very powerful because it's weird because first off like jed does everybody's kind of hesitating like okay both these guys need to die but he he, he, and nobody wants but nobody it's weird when you're shooting an enemy that's just okay here's a bunch of guys we're going to take them out but when you got one guy there begging for his life all of a sudden it becomes a moral question And, and at this point it's like one of the first times that uh that Matt's like like questioning Jed, you know. He's like like no, no, we 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 don't need to do this. This is fucking crazy. Like we're not, we're not executioners.
2: Yeah, And exactly.
4: he's like, well, we fucking li- we live here. <laughs> That's the difference. This is our home. <laughs> but then he he can't bring himself to take down to take out Daryl because it's it's a guy he grew up with. I mean, he, 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 later on they reference him with the, the picture of him when they were growing up. Like right after this scene, Robert just standing. He just casually walks up. Like, Do hip that. fires, like, you know, like, goodbye. I'm
2: surprised he didn't carry it out, car- carry out with it, hand them back the gun and just be like, bunch of pussies. You know? <laughs> so everyone else are eventually ambushed by helicopter gunfire, falling into a trap when the Soviets leave a bunch of fruit on an empty road. Fruit basket. Tony and Robert are both killed. Robert sacrifices himself to the helicopter as a diversion while Jed leaves a mortally wounded Tony with a grenade.
1: I'll kill Jed.
3: And don't let him get me. He's going make me talk.
1: Where's your gun? I want you to do it.
3: I can't. I can't, Tony. I can't. It's okay. It's okay.
0: Give
3: me a grenade. I don't want to be too cold, okay?
0: here and listen to the window
3: out, okay? We'll go.
2: And which she waits to use uh, on this enemy when uh, they go to remove her corpse. So... Two things. One, we didn't really touch upon this kind of possible relationship between Tony and Jed. That That's kind of like, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of, uh, you guys get the vibes or it's just me? Between I mean, they're definitely flirtation. And, and, I mean, and, and, and take fucking Dirty Dancing out of the equation. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, that's for the sake of just conversation. Like
4: it. Yeah, and it's hard nah. to do that in a way because you've seen that dynamic.
2: I know, but in the but sense I, I mean, of this I movie, think, though, I'm yeah. seeing what I'm seeing.
5: Yeah, it's a definite flirtation. I don't know that it means that they've had a relationship because there's no indication that anybody's had a relationship. Um, so I just always read that as that nobody. It, you know, there was a little thing between Leah Thompson and. Um, what
2: about Tanner and Erica? That was my right. Next that's question, what I'm saying. Yeah, that's there's.
5: Little, there's yeah. again. I think it was a flirtation. I don't. I don't think that there's any actual relationship or, or especially sex happening in the movie.
2: No, I don't see that. <laughs> but even the flirtation with I don't know, Tanner and Erica are like so far in, in, in age and she's a high schooler, you know, it's just that it's one's World a little, War
4: Three, all bets are off.
2: Oh okay. definite
4: creepy vibes right there. <laughs> yeah, like... Right.
2: <laughs> all right. All right. So Jed and T- Tony, listen to me. Jed and Matt They're, they're, they're done. They're just, it's just pretty much whittled down to them now. So they go in to attack the Soviet headquarters in Calumet to distract the troops. While they let Danny and Erica escape. During this, we see Bella seemingly have a change of heart. And is in the process of writing his resignation out. And he's distracted by gunfire and chaos. Like he's, this, this whole ordeal has turned him. A man has Seen the light he's ready to turn in his papers and say thanks but no thanks you well know, and he also, also says a couple this.
5: a couple times in the movie because he wants was a better right Wolver- example
2: for his family
4: well he yeah was he's always the- been on the side of the insurgents
5: yeah he was the he was the wolverines you know and you know probably 15 20 years earlier so right. he he does sympathize with them like he understand you know he's he's been on the other end of that gun so he knows what that's like
2: so Jed and Matt in the middle of all of this, you so see Danny and Erica, they're they they're, they're free, they escape. But then when Jed and Matt are on this train carrying out their attack, or at this point, it's no longer a diversion. It's it's a full it's a suicide mission at this point. They're on this train. And I'm going to get a little critical here because watching this, I had one main gripe with this whole ordeal, this whole end sequence here, this that takes place on this train. And that's we see Matt get shot and jumps off the train. And then the, the guy goes looking for Jed, sees the blood. And then with his back turned, Jed appears with this gun. And he said, You missed. And that's what he basically says, Hey, I'm right here. And the guy turns around. And that's when they had the, the the gunfire and they both get shot and, you know, essentially both get killed. But that's like a rookie mistake, man. Like, <laughs> give yourself. Yeah, a it, thought, but, like, you know,
4: but the fi- you have to have you. that final showdown between the two hunters, you know, like.
2: I don't know. It. It's um, it's like what would you speak They didn't lose just anybody on, up shoot. until the
4: point that uh that guy got involved in the film, you know? That's that's right. when they started losing guys left and right, or losing you know like squad members left and right, and then next thing you know, you know, they, they they need to go have that final, you know, like I'm gonna take out the guy that 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 got all of us.
2: They're just defeated, man, and we see it here on this park bench. You know, we, both the brothers are mortally wounded. The colonel sees them, but he's just like you guys look like you've seen better days proceed he just lets him go
4: Well, he's carrying him at that point
2: yeah Jed's carrying Matt and despite being enemies Bella lets him go he sees the, the children essentially the brothers reach a bench and they hold each other as they die
0: just hang on, man oh man it's okay, man. It's okay. So hang on, man. Daddy will be here soon, man. Hang on, man. Come on, man. Daddy will be here soon. Come on. It's okay. Come on, man. I just want to get me. I just want to get you on me. I'm so tired. So tired.
4: And it's interesting at, at that point because uh, before they they even head into town. They already had the, you know, they're at the rock where where they're writing names on, and Jed's already decided, and he's he's written his name and his brother's name on the rock ahead of time. So at that point, you if you caught it, you know that it's, it's going to be a suicide mission that he's not planning on coming back.
2: We see Danny and Erica trek through the the Rocky Mountain wilderness, reaching the frontier of free America. And what's Bella say after letting them go together? Via con Dios, just like Break, uh, just like f- uh, Point Break. So, in the closing <laughs> scene, a plaque is seen with partisan rock in the background. It's fenced off, and the American flag is seen flying, implying that the U.S. won the war. The plaque reads: "In the early days of World War III, guerrillas, mostly children, placed the names of their lost ones upon this rock. They fought here alone and gave up their lives." So that this nation shall not perish from the earth.
0: We're free now.
1: Free. I never saw the brothers again. In time, this war, like every other war, ended. But I never forgot, and I come to this place often, though no one else does. In the early days of World War III, guerrillas, mostly children, placed the names of their lost upon this rock. They fought here alone and gave up their lives so that this nation shall not perish from the earth.
2: And that, my friends, is 1984's Red Dawn from John Milius. That was a fun one to talk about. So now, let's break down those categories and talk box office receipts.
1: The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed,
6: for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works.
2: All right, so Red Dawn was released on August 10th, 1984 from MGM Pictures. It opened up across 1,822 screens, grossing $8.2 million opening weekend. That's in first place. Second weekend, it dropped 32.1 million, 32.1% to $5.5 million. Um, still enough to maintain second place. Total gross $38 million worldwide against a budget of $17 million. So, it's a modest, a modest, a modest return on what seems like a film that MGM had high hopes on returning for its, I think MGM had big franchise plans with this movie, and you can see it with that budget, because the budget, 17 million dollars might not seem like a lot today, but think about it, this is 1984, that's more like 50 million dollars by today's standards, monster budget still managed to be the 20th highest gross in film 84 to me when i see 38 against 17 in my head you're barely breaking even because of the the, the actual cost that, you know, that goes into like marketing and stuff like that that's that's a lot of, a lot more behind the scenes than anything else we, we talked about this time and time again on the show i always bring this up and that's the hidden costs in into making a movie and a lot of that is the marketing and that's not part of the budget numbers that I always reveal.
5: But that was also like eighty four. They probably yeah. spent, they probably spent the fractional marketing that they do now. Yeah, I'm the numbers yeah.
2: wrong because of inflation. I'm not, I'm not thinking right. about inflation.
5: And, and um, and they didn't have that same mentality that every movie had to make you know don't even say a billion that's like the early 90s where everything had to make a 100 million to be considered a hit Mm -hmm. right um they you know in 84 we weren't quite at that mentality just yet movies with the rare exception weren't making that kind of money um so you know doubling the budget I, I think that was considered a win back then not not a, a, a blockbuster by any means but I think it was considered a win whereas nowadays like you said with all the the hidden costs and everything yeah that, that's they don't want to break even on anything
4: I would look at it as like a decent win and at the same time but if you think about the residuals since that point right because it's become such a like known classic that i mean, i'm, I'm well, I guess they, they, they probably were still raking from that film. And I wonder
5: if the PG-13, like now, I don't know if it's still this way, but for a period of time, studios wanted every movie to be PG-13 because that means they could get kids in to see it. You know, they didn't need an adult. I wonder if that worked against it, this being the first PG-13 movie, because people didn't know what the fuck it was. It's like... Well, I'm used to either being able to take my kids to a movie or I can't. Like, what's, you know, what's this thing in the middle? So I wonder if that actually worked against it, uh, being the first one out.
2: I think if anything worked against it, it was the young talent that they had front and center. Like, most of them were just getting big in Hollywood. Right.
5: We take it for granted that we know all these people, but we didn't back then. Back
2: then, right. I mean, they were just still, you know, getting their feet wet. They were being established. They weren't the draws that they would go on to be. Well, most of them.
5: And when I saw well, when I, uh, the age when I saw this movie, I wasn't seeing a movie for the actors. I was seeing a movie because right, 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 The commercials exactly. looked like you kicked ass, right?
4: Yeah, and you know, I think that's part of it too. Is this this kind of that niche audience thing where okay, well, you have action movies with like the the single you know frontman badass kicking you know just just wrecking people, and this was okay. It was a bunch of kids kind of along the same lines doing the same thing. Not as popular, you know, at that point in time. So you got this very like, okay, well, well, who wants to go see that movie? Probably like, like boys ages, (laughs) like whatever, like 12 to like 18. Mostly that's, that's kind of your target audience right there for the most part when you make a film like this, because at that point in time, it's a, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's it's kind of this own weird animal where it's like, well, I, I feel like the adults at that point in time don't didn't know how to how to think about it. It's like, okay, well, is this is this a grown up movie? Is this a kids movie? You know, because like teen teen movies, you would associate with like dumbass comedies like Porky's mm-hmm. and 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 Fast Times and other other shit like that. At that mm-hmm. point in time, well, here's a bunch of goofy teenagers just murdering Russians, so. You know, it's like somewhere between Fast Times and and, and, and Rambo, and, and and who who's going to see that movie? You know, like I, I, it's it's a weird kind of dichotomy there. I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah.
5: Plus, eighty four was a fucking killer year. So it's like
4: so many movies.
5: Yeah, like every week it was another like. Classic movie was being released. And so it's like, all right, do I want to go see, you know, and it, it said they made most of their um, gross, it sounds like, in the first weeks. So, like, that's when all the kids went to see it. And then they were like, all right, Red Dawn was cool, but do I want to go see that? Or do I want to go see Temple of Doom for the third time? Or Ghostbusters, was for the Ghostbusters
2: or yeah, Beverly Hills, Cop- you know, that, that was, yeah, that there was, was just December. so Never much mind.
5: to choose from, and it, but you yeah, know, there was just so much to choose from at that point, so yeah, there
2: were a lot of blockbusters
4: that year, right?
2: Yes, yes, there were like legit blockbusters. All right, well, let's take a walk to the Critics Corner and see what they all had to say about this movie. <laughs> Red Dawn currently has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 52% based off of 27 critic reviews with a critical consensus that says, An appealing ensemble of young stars will have some audiences rooting for the Wolverines, but Red Dawn's self-seriousness can never conceal the silliness of its alarmist concept. It's got a meta score of 53 out of 100 based on 15 reviews. Ebes called it tiresome... And said that it chalks itself up as patriotism, but I think it's simply just Hollywood horse feathers. Thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> I love Eves I feel like
4: a lot of movie critics just don't like having fun. Like they don't—they don't go to a movie. They enjoy themselves. Like they feel like they need to out like artistic the next guy. So <laughs> like, you know, like uh, I can't like this because it's too much fun. You know, like they like, like critics
3: just take movies. Your ass. Like
4: like. Like 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 Fast and the Furious. That's like just just shut up and have fun and enjoy what you're watching. It's fucking cool. Ebert, Ebert
5: was good at like he did like like just fun genre movies from time to time. He he was good at separating art from genre movies, but he sucked at separating movies like good or bad that didn't agree with his political views. Like if, if a movie, if he didn't agree with the movie politically, then he hated it. It's like, well, you don't necessarily have to agree with it to like it, to admire the craft involved, you know? So I think that was a case here. He probably was, didn't, did not like this movie's politics. Therefore he didn't like the movie, which I think is a mistake to, to view it that way.
2: It is what it is. Janet Maslin from New York times said to any sh- to any sniveling Lily Le- 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 what the fuck did she say? To any snivelling Lily Livers who suppose that John Milius has already reached the pinnacle of movie making Machismo a warning, Mr. Milius's red dawn is more rip roaring than anything he has ever done before. Here is Mr. Milius at his most alarming, delivering a rootin' tootin scenario for World War III. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Greenland, oh my lord! They
4: love to use "rip roaring" and they do. <laughs> like, See, This is critics right there. They love like "rip roaring" and geez,
2: they, they they have all their favorite terms like they had their like isms what, what is terms it? Terms um, that would never be used in everyday conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Greenland from the imaginary Imagine magazine said, "Red Dawn is a self-congratulatory little B picture." the sort American does so well. Set in the early months of World War III, it's a loving chronicle of juvenile heroism in Russian-occupied Colorado. School kids caught behind enemy lines become crack gorillas overnight. Slaughter nobly, die even more so. Nice scenery. Shame about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that review. It's funny as shit. Slant Review... Slant Review... Slant Magazine gave its review a three out of four released in the midst of renewed Cold War nuclear dread Red Dawn doesn't starve for unintended wackiness and that is all that I have in the form of reviews for this so uh yeah um, we can move on to P's and C's pros and cons talk a little bit more about what we thought of the film before I take on any job I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing Positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Let's start with the pros. All right, so I'll go first. Uh, The realism in the movie itself, I think we applauded that during the breakdown, and I just had to say it again. Um, I can't praise this film for its realism enough. Um, It's... it's, uh, pretty on point with a lot of its stuff so uh, yeah that being said the actors being authentically trained just the way I talked about how they went through all those eight weeks of Cold War training and snow and all that stuff like it it shows on screen Um, even as far as them before they when they're little novices before they even pick up the weapons they do a good job of like just demonstrating, showing off you know, that who they are at, at that moment um I love the look and the feel of this movie especially like you said Justin when it snows, it's fucking absolutely gorgeous, it's some stunning cinematography, gotta say that and, and uh, a,
5: it, uh I, I'm sorry, just wouldn't mention the cinematography, it's a guy I, I'm spacing on his name right now but he also did like Cobra um
2: uh, uh, Rick Waite.
5: Rick Waite. Yeah, Rick Waite. He's like, you look at his, like, his credits. He's, he's filmed some incredible fucking 48 movies.
2: hours.
5: 48, 48 hours. hours. That's the other one I was thinking of. Yeah. Some good
4: yeah, that work. part alone is pretty intense because it's just like they're constantly reminding you of of the, the elements factor that they're dealing with in addition to, you know, being kids in a guerrilla war against right. an occupying force. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, it's still cold as fuck outside and desolate. You know, makes you kind of wonder how they were feeding themselves the whole time, but I
2: digress. (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest, it's a classic piece of 80s flair. That's what this movie really is at the end of the day. And I love it for it. So those are all my main pros. Uh Justin, you're up.
5: Um, yeah, I agree with all that. I think you said at the beginning they don't make them like this anymore I think I literally have that in my letterbox review of this movie Like they don't make them like this anymore and um that's what I like about it the fact it's just so fucking like over the top like uh, a right wing paranoia it's just it's so funny to me um but it's well done like you know if you it's like okay this is the concept you know that whole introduction we talked about I'm going to go with it and see how, you know, how he plays it out. And I think he does it really well. Um, You know, not that I I think that we need any more tensions flaring with like, if we were just cranking out movies about how bad we want to blow up Russians and Chinese and all that, like that's not a good look, but I gotta say, I love those '80s movies where, like, Rocky Four were beating the Russians, and like Jeff said, Rambo were going back and winning Vietnam after we lost it for real. Like, it's just a whole genre of movies in the '80s because the '80s were just about optimism and uh, right. America's great. And I, I don't, I don't agree with all that shit politically, but for entertainment, some really interesting or, or fun at least. So you, I guess you can argue whether or not and some people don't find it interesting, but. I think undoubtedly fun stuff comes out of that. So I kind of miss that, that aspect of filmmaking. Everything nowadays, including superhero movies, are just fucking gloomy. And it's like every once in a while, you just want something to be kind of... It's it's fun to look back on these movies and, and they're so kind of silly, but um, you know, good action on top of it. I don't know. I guess I shouldn't say that because I don't give the Fast and Furious movies any credit. And I guess that's what they are in a way. So... <laughs> Um,
3: that's but right. I don't
5: know, this, yeah, you know, this is this is a good version of that kind of movie. Just turn off your brain, watch it, and have fun. That it, yeah. For my pros, yeah, I just, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, I can't, I don't want to sum it up again.
4: Yes, that's no, it. no, you
2: don't have to. I'm just, I'm not <laughs> asking you to, it's okay, brother. All right, well, then, Justin, uh, Justin, uh, Jeff, you're up, man, for your pros.
4: All right. Well, you know, I got I got a few here, uh, but one I, I really like the fast start to the movie. That it's immediately, you know, like I said, foot on the throttle, immediately engaging, and then it just keeps going from there. It just keeps getting more and more intense, and then you kind of level out for a minute, but then it kicks you in the ass again. And like the whole the whole plot, you know, if it's like, it's kind of like Independence Day in the, in the sense that. If you just want to completely ignore reality and how how uh, impossible most of this shit is, like you're you're gonna have a good time, you know? Right. It, it's a very simple plot. The kids get separated from the adults. They're quickly scarred by it, all the extenuating circumstances they go through, and and they decide like, "Fuck it, we're gonna go out for revenge," you know? And we're gonna we're gonna make it our fucking problem now, and so and, and really, and and, and the one thing I got is it's kind of like it's uh, and I think this is where the critics kind of lapse is that it, it doesn't take a lot of time wasting on like overly complicated or pandering spoon fed explanations to, as to the hows and whys. It's just this is what's happening. And you know, it's done enough to it's like, OK, I, I just accept it. It's, uh, it's fine. It's, uh, I'm, I'm more worried about like how cool this is. As opposed to, like, well, they didn't explain this. Like, oh, how are they able? You know, what I mean, you keep asking questions like that. You're just ruining it for yourself. Uh, it has a lot of action. You know, it's it's very entertaining film throughout. There's always some shit going on, so you have you're not going to be bored mm-hmm. at any point. and and like i said at the beginning i think when i when i was younger i think most boys my age kind of wanted to be those guys like you could almost picture yourself like yeah we could totally like you know like do some shit like this if it came down to it fuck those russians you know like and i thought that was cool because that was you know back when you know the whole playing with the guns and shit when you were a kid was a more acceptable way of doing things playing army guys and running around the yard playing with, with uh Plastic machine guns was was fun, and and you didn't have to worry about getting shot by a cop.
3: <laughs> you
4: know, like it was just just different times that a lot of people probably can't relate to anymore. But that's what we used to do, and and it, this was kind of like our movie where that like it was almost like time and place. It was like the perfect movie for when I was growing up. It was like, oh my god, like this is so cool because it's not just like a guy who's had. 20 years of military training this is like a bunch of kids just thrown into a random situation and like they're kicking ass like all right. so yeah yeah, those are all my pros and I'll stand by
2: let's get to the cons then what little ones I do have um yeah so the off screen Daryl double cross that like I said before happens off screen we don't see it go down once not a single moment is recollected for us to see as the audience um but whatever um it's just a minor gripe that i have with the movie however my main con this is not a gripe that's minor this is my biggest issue with the movie and it lacks a real threatening villain this movie lacks a villain that stands out in that in that department um all all the um, because because bella at the end of the day Colonel Bella is not a threatening villain. He's he's a guy who's on the fence throughout the movie. He's a guy who's still doing some soul searching of his own while this is all taking place. So he's not really the most dependable guy for your your villainry antics. But um, yeah, other than that, you know, with um, everything else, just good stuff. That's all I have though. Those are my cons. Justin, you're out, buddy.
5: Yeah, my cons are very similar to yours. I, I'm surprised you mentioned the Daryl thing specifically because that was that that was going to be mine originally. But as we really? talked to the movie, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can yeah, really to show you
2: my notes right now. Like I'm not making them no, up. No, like, for that crazy and for
5: that same reason. Like as I was watching it yesterday, I was like, like I was thinking, I was like, this part always bothers me. And I was like, okay, well, this is the this is my least favorite part of the movie. It, like you said, they don't show any of it. It's almost like it was played one of two things either they filmed it and it got cut for some reason so i don't know if that's what happened or it's just like a cheap gotcha moment where like oh my god like almost like a jump scare but like you know nothing more comes of it Uh like they just okay that's that's how they got rid of daryl and daryl was never really a well-developed character to begin with so they could have like, he was mayor's son. That was it, and, and class president. And, like, once you got beyond those first couple identifying things at the beginning of the movie, there was no more character. It was, like, periods of time where he just wasn't, I don't even think, on frame, you know? Like, and he just, you didn't see him. So for him to, to have this big moment, and it happens off screen and just sort of happens, yeah, That that's that's a real big hole in the movie, I think. Um. But then I think the just the third act in general loses steam, like you said. The, the Patrick Swayze, and we kept calling him that guy. I want to shout out William Smith, who's one of my favorite character actors. Um, I can't remember the the character's name, but that that uh, Russian commander, uh, commander, whatever. I don't know what his rank was, a general maybe. Um, but yeah, that that shootout they have, that that just kind of feel it felt rushed. It was almost like all right, we just got to get to the end of the movie at this point that they could have played that out a little bit. Um, So those are my biggest cons. The, the, the character, like again, once they kind of introduced him at the beginning, he would disappear for periods of time. So a couple of just the writing could have used just one more pass, maybe on the screenplay, bulk up a couple of those minor characters a little bit, give them one or two more scenes. Um, I think that that would have fleshed it out a little bit better.
2: Jeff? All right. Well,
4: I mean, to, to add on to that, I just kind of generalized it in the, uh, just the, the the over, like the gratuitous, oversimplifying a lot of the plot points for the sake of keeping the story moving along. And, and you, you probably picked out the best one of all. You know, like the, you know, Daryl just, just at some point just walks away, goes back to town and comes back with a, uh, apparently a, uh, a bug stuck up his ass (laughs) and, 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 you know, and nobody is even questioning it, like, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, how did they find us all of a sudden? It couldn't possibly be because of that. But there's a lot of those things that I guess that you kind of got to like, let, you know, like, like, like throw logic out the door. And and that's part of it, you know, it's like and I got examples like you know, like how this, this group of kids who we never you know, half of them probably never picked up a gun in their life, and all of a sudden they have like Navy SEAL level intel and tactical skills, <laughs> you know, on where to like hit, you know, not only not it's just I'm just hitting them because you know, hitting a hitting a column is one thing, but finding them and knowing where they're gonna be, it's like wow, they must spend all their time like just watching their routes. And, and and it is how they just kind of immediately write off like, OK, this is the United States. So there is, you know, at that point in time, even, even back then, probably a good 275 to 300 million privately owned guns. <laughs> and and you're in like gun owning Yahoo Central there. You know, okay? right. and these people, there's so many people just waiting for some shit like this to break out <laughs> to cause to you know to cause a ruckus. Like, oh, oh. It's like don't start me with a good time, <laughs> and and then you got all of America's allies, and it's it's kind of like it's, it's it's ignoring the fact that so many world like world like country economies depend on us being stable that like literally everybody would throw their hat in the ring. If they weren't all, they would pick a side and throw their hat in the ring to make sure this panned out because stability benefits everybody in this situation. And, and then we're also just going to completely uh, like just toss out the, the just tremendous might and expenditure of the U S military. I mean, price like, like we outspend the next closest country, by, like, 30 times. Like, if you take the next five countries after us, they don't spend as much as we do on the military. Like, we have so much shit that we would throw in a situation like this. It's not even fucking funny. And it was still like that because these are Reagan years, mind you. That's when it really started to get hot. You know what I'm saying? This guy wanted to put, like, lasers the space and shit. Like, shit was lit back in the 80s. <laughs> so like you know but well, we're just gonna throw all that out the window and and you know just to make you know make because otherwise the story wouldn't work if it made sense which i i can understand because i like the story and and then last but not least i wasn't completely i want the ending to make more sense because i feel like there's a couple different directions they could have gone with that that and still had that final showdown that they were going for and made it make more sense that you know what i'm saying there's a there's a couple of different setups and i'll get into more of that uh, that you know as we move on here but if that wasn't my, my my favorite way of doing things But i'll leave it there
5: yeah like mm-hmm. everybody was just suddenly tired like they they needed a scene or two to show them like just kind of losing their their grip on things and they never really like other than the fact that like I think the Jennifer Grey and um, C. Thomas Howe getting killed was supposed to get that across. But they needed like one or two scenes after that where it just shows them like really worn down. They don't have any food. They're just everybody is getting picked off. They're just tired. They just want to be done with it. And, you know, they're just the, the movie's missing that scene. It's like the Daryl thing. It, it's It's talked huh. about rather than shown.
2: Uh, don't, don't remind me of that. Uh, let's move on to the recasting call.
5: No, dickhead, of
0: course I could. A nutless monkey could do your job. Oh, now go get drunk and take credit at all the parties. I would never do ah. that to you,
2: junkie. I, I don't know what it is about this, but for some reason I couple envisioning Nick Nolte as Tanner. I don't know <laughs> if it's... Tropic Thunder. I don't know if it's extreme prejudice <laughs> lingering in my mind. <laughs> there you go. But I kept seeing him as this Tanner, and and yeah, I, I don't know. And the other one, it's 1984, so we need Judy Aronson or Catherine Mary Stewart in some capacity in this movie. It's lacking <laughs> Every one movie of two. those two in it. Yeah, exactly. So the, those are my recasting calls, and, and then I kind of jokingly put in my my thing here. Where's Emilio? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, Justin do you have any
5: I I like I see I was thinking we were doing like current actors I didn't think of, about just anybody from any time period um but like the problem with current actors I don't watch enough new movies like starring a lot of young people to even know who any of the like who would be a good teen actor to put in this movie at this point um for some reason I was thinking Oscar Isaac for the the Powers Booth part um I don't know if that's because he was a pilot in the Star Wars movies, but for some reason I just picture him being like doing a good job with that role. Um, I didn't really think about anybody else. So I don't know. I, I, nobody else slept in mind. I was going to be a smartass and go, well, um, Chris Hemsworth in the Patrick Swayze role, uh, Josh Peck in the Charlie Sheen role. And I I don't. I couldn't do it though because I don't know who else was in the the 2012 remake. So that's as far as I we ain't talking
4: about that piece of shit. So (laughs) (laughs) I never never saw
5: it, so I can't speak to it. When we
4: were talking about spoon fed, like like fucking okay, they tried to make it make sense, and they just falls flat on its face. It's like, (laughs) oh okay, it was better the first time without knowing any of that. Like (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, personally, I'm leaving this one alone. And I thought, I, I thought, and, and I'm gonna explain why. Because I, I thought about this one a lot earlier, and I think it works because of of the who's who. You know, what I mean, you have your three main characters that you're kind of focused on, which is Jed, Matt, and Robert. You know, I think for the most part throughout the film, and they're played by the the notable people at this point. And then you have, you know, of course, uh, the girls. Um, you know Jennifer Gray, um, Ali Sheedy. I think I'm right on that, right?
6: Leah Thompson.
4: Leah Thompson. Don't mind me. See, I'm fucking stupid sometimes. But like, okay, Leah Thompson. You can edit that in, right? <laughs> 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 but like, but they they end up being the like kind of the focal point of, of the story, especially Swayze. And it's like Swayze. You know, he has obviously the biggest head, so he's going to be the, the the main focal point. You know, he's the loudest, he has the, the the giant head, and, you know, he's the head honcho. And it, 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 the, the whole dynamic really works because, in a way, it's like, you know, Justin, you would mentioned that, like, you, you have all these side characters, but they're not really important to the story because it's more or less like the, the, that inner group right there leading the, the, the charge, and everybody else is just kind of there up until the point when Daryl decides to screw them all over randomly for you know, reasons that were never fully explained other than a quick conversation before they shoot him in the head. Or, <laughs> you know, but that 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 aside, it's, it's kind of like if I felt like if you threw anybody else into the mix, like Emilio, for example, is a good one, then you're adding another personality that would kind of like offset that mixture. If that makes sense. You know, like if you throw another strong personality, well then all of a sudden you're gonna have people focusing on the wrong people when it's really about the, the guy in charge and, you know, the people that are immediately around him and, and backing him up. And I think that's where it kind of it kind of makes sense, because the rest of the people are kind uh, of you know, throwaway characters, so to speak. Like, they you know, they're there, they're helping them with all the guerrilla raids and everything. But at the same time, they're not super important to what's going on at any at any moment.
2: All right, well, let's move on then to another category that we have in the form of one question, no answer.
6: Do you have any other questions for me, Counselor?
2: All right, my question, uh, was Erica molested or assaulted by one of the KBG prior to being found or saved? Like, she's very off-putting until Tanner comes into her life. It's something that I was thinking about during the, the... there's a bunch of time with her around everybody else before Tanner enters the fray. In fact, the, um, the the Tanner character comes in pretty late in the film, in my in my opinion. But up until that moment, she's very off-putting, uh, pretty much with everybody except for her sister, Tony. And I don't know if that was just because, if that was a choice, or if there's a backstory to this. Oh,
4: no, no, no. It yeah, is... They do? It is mentioned because there's just the one yeah. point where Charlie Sheen asks them to like do the dishes, and they, they get pissed off, and he's like, "What's up your ass?" That's and they both, like about? freak Rick, and they both freak the fuck out because, and yeah, what, like, what's up your ass? You know what I mean? And like they, they just go bananas at that point. Yeah, I know the
2: scene. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, and she's like, and she's like, "What you said is wrong." Like, right, <laughs> it, and <laughs> it, no further explanation really needed if you caught it, you know. But yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what that's implying that okay, there was Okay, some, all
3: right. Well,
4: yeah, well like, there is
5: a scene later on. I forget who's talking. There's two characters that are talking. I think somebody might be talking to Tanner actually, and they say they allude to Sun. They don't go into any detail, but they just say something that happened to her before he got there. I, I forget the way they put it but there is a direct like something did happen to her I forget when they said it happened and like I said who's talking but there is a definite mention about it that something yeah something did happen
2: gotcha. don't go into any
5: kind of detail about what that is but
2: alright well, that's my question Justin question is why the fuck didn't we get to see Daryl
5: go into town and get there bugs show there up you and go. that there you was go. my question Jeff
4: uh, I, thought, I thought about this one for a bit too and the one I came up with which I thought was, would it be interesting would be if either Swayze probably not Swayze, but Jennifer Gray if either one had been a different person cast in that role how it would have affected to the final outcome of Dirty Dancing because if you guys <laughs> and I hate to bring it up, but if you've, you've watched any of the, the 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 behind it, I have a wife, so of course I've seen some of the behind the the movie stuff. And I know that they basically hated each other because of this movie. Um, they, they did not like each other d- during and after the filming. So like, and, but that it's like that kind of weird, like I hate you sexual tension that really made dirty dancing work. <laughs> so like, if they had never met prior to doing that, like would it, would that have still been the, the, uh you, you know, the, the amazing, like, 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 classic that it is at this point yeah i can see that you know what i'm saying because it's yeah. like yeah, you yeah, take yeah. away that that prior experience that they have with each other and they're like oh fucking no i i work with swayze you know and then it happens and that that kind of i don't know somehow i probably made their on-screen relationship more that much more believable mm-hmm. i guess i got you that weird tension
2: I got you. Absolutely. All right. Now we're at Mulligan moment. Okay.
3: If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices?
2: Yeah. Like I mentioned before in my cons, give this film a more threatening villain. That's the key ingredient that the film is missing. Like I said, this movie needs a villain, a more durable, threatening villain. That's what this movie needs is 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 a deeper threat. So if yeah, if that's one thing I could uh, you know do over is uh I would yeah give it the villain that I feel it deserves and not Colonel Bella, who changes his mind every flipping scene you see him in. Justin
5: um you see i I kind of like like the more I think about it, like I, I don't feel that it needs like one central villain. But it, it actually makes sense that it's just a series of different villains because it's sort of like how communism works, like rather than just having like the one, general, you know, it's it's a bureaucratic thing. So it's a bunch of different guys who are, you know, getting getting these these shitty results. Um. I, yeah, I don't know if that's Milius really saying something about how bureaucracy works, but I, I think it works in that regard rather than just having one main villain. Um, but my like you know I, I I'm beating it to death, but I won't even say Daryl again. Let me say something else. Um, the, the end confrontation could have the, the script could use another pass on that. That that could have been a little bit more exciting. Um, a little bit more build up as to why Jed and Matt are just so burnt out. Um, just just give me a scene or two of them just just showing that discussing that um it makes them going on a suicide mission make a little bit more sense that that all just feels rushed um so yeah redo the ending and just stretch it out just a little bit Uh, this movie could have been about another 10 to 15 minutes long these scenes i'm talking about adding on i don't think they would eat up a lot of time a couple quick scenes um it, it would make it that much stronger Jeff, you're up.
4: Yeah, um, you know, and Justin, I'm going to kind of agree with you, just in a, a different, you know, like uh, uh, branch off of that. Uh, I, I want the ending to make sense because I, I watched, and I, I went back and like I watched the ending a couple, like that sequence between the helicopters. Which, if we really want to, I mean, talk about it, when you have those three armored helicopters, and they appear in every '80s movie that has. A Russian in it, where they, they, you know, like they're in Rambo three. I feel like they, like somebody got a sail on them at one point in time, and like they just they appear in everything. And those things are like flying tanks, and they, they that's that's probably where the movie should have ended. You know, they just came in there with missiles a-blazing and just just, just 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 scorched earth like the entire thing. But you know that 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 whole that whole part aside. Again, we're suspending reality. But after that. You know there isn't really much there it's just like okay i'm burnt out half the people are dead um we're gonna commit suicide by running into town (laughs) to make this diversion that you don't even need when in reality we could all probably we're we're in the middle of the fucking forest we could probably all just get on (laughs) our horses and ride off like somewhere and i'm guessing they don't have the most robust like forest patrols going on at this point (laughs) You know, that they're going to find like four kids riding horses through the woods and they could probably all make it without there, it being a problem. So I feel like you needed some kind of better catalyst than just like, oh, fuck it, I'm we're burnt out. I'm going to go kill myself. You know, like <laughs> death, death by firing squad, you know, but I'm just going to take as many guys down as I can because I don't know, like you said, I don't know if anything really got them to that point. And if it did, we didn't really feel it. So I, I thought maybe, you know, like, like at that point instead of having the, the Russians just come in and and murder everybody with their giant helicopters which could have murdered everybody but didn't instead they just get cap- a few of them get captured or you know or the 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 guy who's hunting them who I think is they brought in late in the film to kind of be that villain that you're talking about Ed you know he's like mm-hmm. the specialist that they finally bring in the the hunter you know quote unquote to find find the, the rebels that are giving them so much trouble if maybe he caught wind of it and was chasing them to the border. And they had, because you still want to have that final showdown, but you got to have like a good catalyst for it. Like, Jeez, and right. I want to know what their motivation is to go into town. Like, if they have to go rescue the two of them and sacrifice themselves in the process, okay, that's good. If they have to, You know, like if the other guys chasing them out to the the, the outskirts and they're going to stop and and hold the hold the line, you know, so to speak, so that they can keep going and get over to the, you know, the U.S. side of of things. then then, you know, that's cool, too. And you can still have your big gratuitous shootout and, and, and have them die. Um, but, but, you know, what I'm saying I, I feel like that that, that needed a, just a slightly like, like you said, 15 minutes, like would have made all the difference and made it make sense other than just, hey, I'm, I'm just going this seems like a good time to just die for no reason.
5: <laughs> yeah, you're describing the Wild Bunch. That's that's what happened in the Wild Bunch. Like, but the movie spent two hours before, you know, two and a half hours before that ending. Making sense of why those guys walked into a suicide mission at the end. Yeah, you know, Red Dawn never really sets that up, and it's surprising to me that a guy like Melia, who I'm sure was probably a Sam Peckinpah fan, um, didn't realize that in his own movie. It's, it's like I said, it feels like there might have been some scenes that were shot and then cut just to make the movie shorter. And you know, I find it hard to believe that that a smart guy like him couldn't think to write those scenes in.
4: Yeah, maybe there were a bunch of alternate rights, but yeah, they just needed to cut it short.
5: Right. Yeah, we got. You know, that happens when you're filming. We got to lose a scene. We just don't have the time or the money to make it. And those feel like a lot of stuff towards the end feels like is the stuff that got cut. Either they filmed it and it didn't make it in, or they just ripped those pages out of the script and didn't. Film yeah, or
4: they just went with the uh, the 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 one ending that for whatever reason, I guess for the sake of time. They're, because you know how many times have you watched like the making of or you know one of these things that really deep dives into a a film and you you hear about this alternating it's like wow that would have made a hell of a lot more sense but that's the one they cut (laughs) you know because whatever test audiences time constraints who knows right but that's the one they went with it's like wow so okay
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right let's move on now to figure looking good
6: it's finger licking good.
2: Avenge me! <laughs> I mean that, and the shoot 'em up montage that immediately follows. Like the, those are my key favorite scenes. And I've also been a big Ben Johnson fan, like I mentioned in the breakdown. So of course, anytime he pops up on screen, I'm fucking having a good time. Uh, but ultimately, the Avenge Me scene with Harry Dean Stanton, and then the, the montage that follows it has always been like my go-to favorite part of this movie everything that i mean i love the film from start to finish but like if you had a gun on my head to pick out a scene that's what's gonna you know come out of my mouth is that moment so yeah that's my answer and i'm sticking to it justin
5: yeah i mean that that scene or um or when powers booth gets killed that that's a cool scene um, but like when I think of this movie, I, I, there like, look, li- there's individual like moments of dialogue or individual shots that I remember. Like that shot at Powers Booth when he's, he's running towards the camera and you're like, what the fuck's going on? And it turns out he's getting ready. You know, they're playing football. Like, I love that shot. Um, that's one I always think about when I think of this movie and it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. It's just a, a scene of them like letting off some steam. Um, But like the kid, the uh, Ardvar kid holding up the gun, yelling Wolverines, like just individual Mm -hmm. moments are what stands out. Um, So it's hard. Like you said, I love it from start to finish. Frank McRae walking out of the the school and getting shot at the beginning is another moment that always stands out to me. So um, it's hard to pick one. I I do love it start to finish. Flaws and all.
2: All right, Jeff. (laughs)
4: My my favorite, I mean, and I think this is kind of like where uh, where where Robert meets his character arc is when he does the the, like, the Robert versus the heavily armored helicopter.
3: Hey, <laughs> like,
4: where he just he just he, when I said zero fucks, that was his last fuck, just being what like fucking buried in the ground. <laughs> like, you know, he's like. First, he he fires a missile at it, and it just glances off. He's like, "Oh, okay, I see how this is." And he's like, right. "All right." So he then he pulls up his 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 ninja mask, you know, and he's and he just like fuck. He didn't even like aim. He's just shooting from the hip, like all right, let's fucking do this, motherfucker. And he just and he just like just Wolverine, he's so just like firing at this. Obviously, going to smoke him, but he don't give a shit at that point. He's just like, all right, let's fucking have at it. Because I think that's when he just goes full Hannibal Lecter at that moment, where he's just lost (laughs) any semblance of a fucking of a a normal person that gives a shit about anything. Where he's just gone full psychopath, and I mean that's kind of the perfect way for his character to die because it's like, yeah, I just don't fucking care anymore. Like I'm, I'm just gonna go right after it. So yeah, I mean that that's that's the one that really sticks with me. He like takes his time. He's like, all right, you know, like like, like a gunfight in the old west, except it's like, you know, you're like fighting a, a rhino with a feather duster. Where
2: well, are we at? Time to talk about our MVPs.
5: All right. Now, you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence the most valuable player is.
2: I'm giving the award on my end to Powers Booth. I mean, everyone else is just too damn young to deserve this award. And like I mentioned before, uh, a, a big Powers Booth fan. And uh, the moment he you know pops up on here, um, it's just a ride that I, and I enjoy being on. So uh, Powers Booth uh, enhances this movie. And for that reason, I'm giving him the prestigious MVP award for it. Justin,
5: yeah, I, I, I could go Power's booth, but for acting, I'm going to go. Uh, I keep wanting to say Scorsese. I, um, <laughs> <Scors-Swayze. laughs> I I'm going to give it to Swayze. I just, I, he just, he has more moments than Power's booth. I think that makes the difference. Um, it, I said earlier, it's one of my favorite performances. It might be my favorite. I'm trying to think. I mean, he's done other stuff that I love, but I think this, just performance-wise, might be my favorite thing of his. Um, but my true MVP is, I want to give it to Milius. Um He's the one that made it the batshit crazy movie that it is. Um, there is a part of me, after hearing that Kevin Reynolds was going to do more like a Lord of the Flies thing, there, there's a part of me that wants to see that version in some alternate universe, but... Um, yeah it, it i don't know that anybody else could have made this movie this way except for
4: john melius so um <laughs> yeah, I, he, he's my mvp
2: all right jeff
4: yeah i mean i'm gonna go with uh w- with with robert you know this is the, like my, obviously he's like I, I think it's the most interesting character c thomas howe of course. Uh, and, and, it, and it's weird because it's like you have you know your your focus is on everybody else, but he's kind of like like quietly the most badass motherfucker yeah, in the movie, true. and and it's it's just you know he just said he's the one that really goes through like Jed is kind of a badass like th- the, from the beginning you know what I mean from the onset and he he's maintaining a certain level of strength on behalf of everybody else, but you see Robert go through the whole kind of gamut of like transition where he goes from like kind of a, kind of a bitch at the beginning, if we're going to be honest about it. <laughs> and that he, and he, but he, they, 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 he's never killed anything in his life. And then by the end, he loves it. You know, he, he, he's absolutely, he's on board. He kills his own classmate for betraying him, And then he just decides to have a shootout with a fucking helicopter of all things, <laughs> you know? So like, but, but it's really that like that kind of slow descent into like 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 craziness that kind of makes him in a way believable that when he has nothing left to lose, he knows his dad's dead, he knows his mom's dead, and he's like, I have nothing left. I don't even necessarily care about these people that much. I just want to kill as many Russians as I can, and it's it's it's, it's very interesting because and he he just he does he, he, he like the the scene where uh, where where Daryl. Uh, you know, where they find out that he's the rat. I mean, before he even shoots him, the first thing they do when they ambush him is he just walks out. After after they've done killed everybody, he, the first thing he does is walk out, pulls out his, his sawed-off shotgun, which happens earlier in the film, and he, he just, like, just flicks it and knocks the, the, the cover off, you know, so he can aim it. He's just going, to go, going around at that point just finishing guys I mean, he's like so bloodthirsty at that point. It's fucking crazy. You know, he's just like, here, let me get rid of this fucking thing so I can just go around and plug all the guys that are left. And he said basically just while this is going on, he's out there just 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 making sure everybody's completely dead. (laughs) And that's that's I mean, he's he's kind of a scary guy in that sense that he the whole time he's he's just kind of progressing and getting darker and darker and darker as it goes. All
2: right. Time to give out our final effect ratings.
4: Ow! On a scale of
0: one... To Ow! On a scale... Ah. On a scale... Ow. On a scale of one to ten... <laughs> on a scale of one to ten... Give me
2: the damn veggies. What do you think? Alright, at the end of the day, Red Dawn. Four and a half stars out of five for me. Um, this Ooh. fucking movie just continues to make me a happy viewer. Um, it, it, it continues to be the fun wild adventure that it is the quotable you know non-stop action endeavor that it is this movie is just fun good to watch some great performances at the end of the day um and yeah it's it's smarter than your average bear they, uh, Milius and whoever he had helped write the film, because I'm sure he had a couple of people help him out with, 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 the, with the, and not Milius, um, Kevin Reynolds throughout, uh, wrote this, never mind, why am I saying Milius? Um, just the the, 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 the little things that we talked about that you wouldn't otherwise think to include in your writing, like they do, they go out of the way to incorporate that, like the, 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 the file, the paperwork at the gun police so they can find out who, you know, has a gun so they can go get it, you know, they're always one step ahead and it's smart stuff, like I mentioned before a lot of these things, like you wouldn't hear it anywhere else, you know so um yeah, the performances the, uh, the, the, the replay value alone um, four and a half Guys, I love this movie so, and I'm going to continue to show how much I love it. Four and a half stars, Justin.
5: Yeah, for uh, for me, not quite as high. Um, I'm going four stars. Nice.
3: Um,
5: yeah, it, the the one star again. Just uh, the script could use, especially for two t- such talented guys. Um, and again, if it's not their fault, if it was like studio mandated cuts, then then I'd feel bad. Pointed at them mm-hmm. as the culprits. But um it just needed a few more scenes. Like I said, another another 10 to 15 minutes at most could have could have easily added at least another half, if not a, a full star. Um made it just pretty much a perfect movie, but it's pretty great as it is. Um so yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything else to say that I haven't said already. Um I'm, well well, I will say it's a movie that. I watched, you know, probably 15, 20 times now, You know, maybe not always start to finish, turn it on in the middle and, and watching it that way, but I've, I've seen it a bunch. And um, it's movie for a long time, I kind of just took for granted, like, eh, you, you know, oh, Red Dawn, whatever it's playing, I'm not, you know, but for whatever reason, I guess, because enough time had gone by last year, I was like, eh, fuck I fucking haven't watched Red Dawn start to finish in a long time. I'm going to give it a watch. And I just fell in love with it all over again. I was like, why don't I watch this movie at least once a year? Um And now, after watching it a couple of times in the past, you know, year or two, I, I, I probably will make a semi-regular rotation because I just have a lot of fun with it every time I watch it.
2: All right, Jeff.
4: Yeah, I mean you're right on that. Like it is, it is a good watch, and I, and I, I also gave it four. And. You know, I got to get like a four minus, you know, kind of like a B minus. <laughs> like, four minus. It's like, it's almost like, it's like, like, like it's almost there. Yeah. It's like a, maybe like a 3.8, 3.9 really. But it's like, it, it, it's, it's it, one, it's very entertaining and it flows nicely. Like you're never bored watching it. There's never a point when it's not interesting to, to keep your eyes on the screen because there's always something going on that you want to like keep track of and you know it but it gets that uh it gets the minus it gets the uh the not the not five stars and not probably not even quite four just because of like how much you have to suspend reality <laughs> to like to make it work in your brain you know you gotta kind of do some mental gymnastics there to really really like you, you gotta really let let all like logic and intelligence like out the window to believe that these people, these obviously like 20 some year olds who are <laughs> high school kids. Cause I, I see high school kids oh, yeah, now everywhere. and I feel like they look like they're 12, you know, <laughs> and I can't picture these guys leading a, uh, a, a, re- uh, a rebellion, let alone like, like having like Navy SEAL tactics <laughs> yeah. and always having to drop on, on highly trained Spets <laughs> but Like that's, that's, that's a whole other thing, you know, I'm, but I mean overall the film is great it's solid it's a, it's a very entertaining watch like there's just absolutely nothing I I don't get I think the critics just especially at that point in time in the 80s the critics tended to be a little bit more cynical I feel like towards movies that weren't like a, an art piece because uh, you know, there weren't many action movies that were highly regarded in the 80s you know, before maybe what what like Die Hard I yeah. think was the first one I remember that it was yeah. actually pretty fairly well received by critics and audiences alike. Yeah. But up to that point, I feel like they just they just went out of their way to trash anything when a lot of us, the audience, was just eating the shit up, like, oh my God, this is fucking great. Like it's you know, it's over the top violence, it's stupid, but it's fun to watch. So that's that to me, that's a good thing. I mean that's that's the most important thing to me with a movie is that it's engaging. That it's 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 keeping you interested the whole time. So I'm going to leave it with that.
2: And that's going to be our episode on 1984's Red Dawn from John Milius, a film that certainly gets that full film effects seal of approval. One down many more to follow. If this is your first time listening, since you clearly liked the episode enough to listen this far, could I interest you in leaving a quick rating or review in our podcast? You can do so via Apple, Spotify, Facebook, email, or directly on our website, which, once again, the Film Effect I'd also like to uh, direct you in the direction of our socials at Film Effect Pod on Twitter, the Film Effect Podcast everywhere else. And you can now kick off your weekends directly here with brand new episodes of Fewercast dropping every Friday afternoon just in time for the commute home. Fewercast is our Film Effect weekly entertainment recap podcast that we do with everyone from the Film Effect getting together each week. We discuss movies and entertainment in the week. It's like a weekly review show. You get to hang out. We record it. It's fun. You join. Have a good time with us. And then, of course, I have no idea where that Russian accent came from. The Film Effect podcast each and every <laughs> Tuesday for your listening and enjoyment. Next week on that podcast, it's Mission Impossible week. We covered the original film earlier this year. And now we're returning to do the Mission Impossible franchise finale. Well, up until this new one. We're returning to do 2018's Fallout, given that the film effect treatment it so rightfully deserves. Where are you guys at on Mission Impossible Fallout? I liked it. I'm not the hugest fan of that franchise. Like
5: every time I watch one of those movies, I'm like, "Yeah, this is good," but like, I forget about it ten minutes later. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't really engage with those movies the way everybody else seems to
4: yeah hey man you really hit that on the head for me to be honest <laughs> like, I have the, I have the same kind of feeling Justin mm-hmm. like it's, it's like I watched this impossible and it's like okay it was, this is pretty cool and it's definitely entertaining but it's almost like their throwaway you know mm-hmm. like I like I've seen a lot of movies like this well thought out like i've I've gotten into um discussions like similar discussions about like uh, the Saw movies with people. And I know people that love the franchise absolutely from beginning to end. It's like okay, but it's like how many different ways can you make interesting ways of killing people? And and, you know, it's like it's like the same kind of formula. Like okay, how many over the top stunts and like weird predicaments can you put the main characters in that they have to overcome? You know what I'm saying? So it's like. eventually it gets to be, like, kind of background noise where it's like, okay, it's fun to watch, but it's also not, like, particularly, like, I'm not going to, like, revisit them anytime soon because once you see it, it's like, well, why am I going to go back for it? I kind of know what what I'm into. And I'm going to guarantee you the new one's going to be just more the same. So it's basically Fast and the Furious with guns. (laughs) There
2: you go. (laughs) Well, many thanks once more for listening today until next time I'm Ed and I'm Justin and I'm Jeff and this has been the Thumb Effect Podcast goodbye everybody happy 4th of July
1: Wolverines <laughs> see ya happy 4th everybody alright gang we're gonna see y'all again next time when those theater lights go dim the opening credits begin to roll